may never look at your city, town, or its people the same way ever again. Stained by Blood, a murder investigation based upon a true story by private investigator Douglas J. Hagman. Using the character Mark Stiles, Hagman takes you on a journey behind the scenes where the homicide becomes a secondary to an underworld of satanic ritual abuse, child abduction, and even mind-controlled experimentation. A world dismissed as conspiracy by those who want to keep its secrets hidden. Exposing the dangers, denials, and deceptions. For five years, a brutal killer remained on the loose, free to kill again. As Mark struggles to navigate the maze of bizarre twists and untangle a web of deeply hidden secrets kept by some of the most powerful and influential people in his community and beyond. You may never look at your city, town, or its people the same way ever again. Stained by Blood. Order your copy of this engaging novel today at HagmanandHagman.com and click on the link. Stained by Blood. And ladies and gentlemen of the jury, the prosecution is not going to get that man today. No. Because I'm going to get him. And welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to this episode of the Hagman and Hagman Report. We're coming to you live from our radio and television studios located in beautiful northwest Pennsylvania. It's more like wintertime up here now. Uh, we broadcast each and every weekday live, Monday through Friday, 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time, on Global Star Radio Network. We also do live broadcasting on YouTube, and we still have our uh, streaming on Blog Talk Radio. Don't forget, we have two separate websites for the show. One is HagmanandHagman.com. The other one is HagmanReport.com, as well as my uh, father's blog, HomelandSecurityUS.com. I'm Joe Hagman. At the helm, uh, my father and co-host, Doug Hagman, has the night off tonight, uh, so to speak. But he is uh, he's around. We dig into topics that capture corporate mass media won't and will never do. Uh, while me- many people adhere to the coincidence theory of historical and current geopolitical events, we look to the conspiratorial aspect, awakening others to truth, and the real news behind the headlines, current events through a biblical perspective. We have a great show lined up for you tonight. We have radio show host, speaker, and author Bill Salas joining us. His website is Prophet- prophecydepotministries.net. That's prophecydepotministries.net. We're going to be talking about his latest book and DVD release, The Now Prophecies. This is um, a fascinating book. I haven't been able to read through the whole thing yet, but I have watched several interviews he's done uh, with Prophecy Watchers, uh, with Gary Stearman, and you can find all that on his website, prophecydepotministries.net. Portions of tonight's broadcast are brought to you by WholeTonesLive.com. That's WholeTonesLive.com. If you feel like life is running you instead of you running your own life, visit WholeTonesLive.com for the remedy in music. Music from the frequencies of the Bible. The music of King David. Visit WholeTonesLive.com. More on that later. Also, uh, my father's book, Stained by Blood. 
is now available on Kindle format on Amazon. And I believe the website for that is stainedbyblood.com. The Kindle version, now available. Alright, with that, we're going to get right into the show. Again, tonight, our guest, author, speaker, radio show host, Bill Salas. He's a friend of the show. Uh, we've had the pleasure of meeting him uh, a few times at different conferences. And he has been a frequent guest on our show since we started in our radio endeavor. He has uh, one of, uh, actually, Prophecy Watchers' best-selling book in history, book DVD series in history, The Now Prophecies. He's the author of books like Psalm 83 War, Israelistine, and now The Now Prophecies. Bill, welcome to the show. It's great to be on the program with you, Joe. Uh, I've got a lot to talk about with what's going on and the prophetic implications of what's going on in the world today. Absolutely. And as we were discussing before the show, people are hungry for that knowledge. Uh, you know, we have, uh, what is it, how, how much of the Bible is dedicated to prophecy or how much prophecy is in the Bible? At least one-third, if I remember correctly? Well, some of us, yeah, some of us estimate about a third. J. Barton Payne wrote the Encyclopedia of Bible Prophecy, and in that he said 26.8% of the Bible was devoted toward Bible prophecy. There's about 31,170 some verses in the Bible, and I think he said there was around 8,900 or 9,000 devoted toward Bible prophecy. So somewhere between nine and 10,000 is probably a pretty safe uh, estimate. That's incredible. Um, you've been in, in the, uh, and I'm going on your website here, uh, you've been in the prophetic ministry 23 years, is that correct? Or am I reading uh, from Bob Allrich's write-up on your book? Yeah, well, Allrich's basically, I was saved in 1991. I technically went into full-time ministry in 2010, but I released a book called Israelistine, The Ancient Blueprints of the Future Middle East, in the summer of 2008. But as far as, you know, being a student of prophecy immediately after getting saved, I started reading the Word daily every morning before I would go to work. But technically, I've only been in the ministry, per se, since that first book came out. So probably about seven, eight years now. And the work you do is is fascinating. Very timely, relevant, and biblically sound uh, from both me and my, and my father's perspective. This latest book, The Now Prophecies, Disaster in Iran, Destruction of Damascus, The Decline of America, The Final Arab-Israeli War. A lot of the things you've been talking about and have written about in the past, Bill, are coming to uh, are coming to fruition right before our eyes. We're seeing the Arab invasion of the Western world. I just saw a recent article today where the uh, Arab invasion of Europe, there's actually, for every two Middle Eastern migrants that come to Europe or immigrants, uh, that come to America versus for everyone that comes to Europe. And we see the problems that Europe is having in s- certain countries, Sweden, Germany, just to name a few, not to mention the war-torn Middle East. What's the most important area or aspect uh, or area we need to start on tonight? Well, I think in general we should lay some groundwork as to what really are the now prophecies, why are they important right now. You just... Uh, rifled off a pretty powerful list of events dealing with Iran, Syria, Jordan, Egypt. Uh, even we can get into America. The decline of America is a, a now prophecy. And, you know, we're dealing with events that are near and dear to your listeners, especially when we talk about America, and events that you're se- they're seeing on the news right now. You know, the table talk 
in the country right now is who's going to be our next president? Who's going to uh, turn this country around and bring us back into a uh, better condition, a blessed condition? Um, everybody's really concerned and wondering how, you know, what's going to, what's going to, what it's going to take, who's going to take the, the helm here for us. And uh, so we need to kind of put this stuff into perspective for everybody. We're living in a very volatile time, and uh, the news media is not covering the, the critical things that students of the Bible need to know uh, so they can get a biblical and prophetic perspective of the current events that are they're concerned about. Like, for instance, is ISIS an ex- existential threat to Americans? You know, uh, certainly becoming one... In parts of Europe, uh, they're moving into Libya. There's concerns they're going to start coming into. They're already threatening to come into Europe and things like that. So, uh, we'll, we'll talk about what is the now prophecies. Where are we at on God's timeline? And then we can kind of break some of these prophecies down one by one. And I would probably do it in the sequence of events that I suggest they will happen. You know, uh, at best it's a speculation as to know exactly which one's going to happen first. But we can get pretty good estimates as to how these things could lay out chronologically. And you just mentioned something, the, the presence of ISIS in the Middle East. Uh, a recent article from today uh, headlines, ISIS presence in Libya doubles. We see ISIS throughout Iraq, Syria, Libya, and its tentacles are far-reaching into not only Middle Eastern countries, but as we just said, you know, Western countries, uh, Western Europe. And is ISIS an existential threat to America? That's a great question. But let's back up and start with what are the now prophecies? Okay, the now prophecies are the biblical predictions given to the Hebrew prophets centuries ago that are intended for our generation to know. And for instance, they they have minor or no preconditions. So when we look at Bible prophecies that have not been fulfilled, some of them have some pretty significant preconditions that have to happen before that event can can take place. You know, we can see. Uh, that certain events would have to happen geopolitically for maybe an Ezekiel 38 major prophecy to happen where Russia is going to invade Israel with Iran and Turkey and things like that. There's some conditions there that have to be fulfilled to set the stage. However, when we look at some other prophecies, like a nuclear disaster in Iran in Jeremiah chapter 49, we see that that could actually happen tomorrow morning, or the destruction of Damascus in Isaiah 17. That could happen at any given moment. So these are pretty much imminent prophecies. We we look at the details of the prophecy and we realize, hey, you know, we could wake up one morning and that event could happen. And there's about nine of them or so, uh, just to mention a few of them, that are really kind of glaring right at us. So these are the prophecies that really could happen at any given time that we need to be prepared for at the present time. You know, maybe they won't happen immediately. Maybe they will happen in another 5, 10, 15, 20 years. I'm not suggesting we should wait that long for these things because they could happen now. The point is mankind needs to be prepared for these prophecies at the present time. Now let me give you a couple examples historically of some now prophecies and how significant and relevant they were to the peoples of those times and how these now prophecies in turn are very relevant to us in these times. So, for instance, Noah, he was given a prediction that there was going to be a worldwide flood. So Noah took that to heart, and he got real busy, and he built his ark, and in so doing, he glorified God, and he preserved the posterity of his wife, their three sons, and their three wives of the three sons. And that was a very important prophecy for him. Now, at that time, Noah probably wouldn't care too much about the Antichrist or 
uh, the rebirth of the nation of Israel or anything like that, these other prophecies that were, were given later in time. Uh, but he was concerned about a worldwide flood. And then we look at Joseph about 3,500 or so years ago, uh, maybe a little longer than that, and he was told that there was going to be seven years of famine in the land of Egypt. And But he was given good news it would be seven years of plenty to prepare for that seven years of famine. So he got real busy with Pharaoh and the people of Egypt storing up grain and wheat and surplus for during the seven years of plenty and availability so they could get through those seven years of famine. And in the process of doing that, he preserved, the, he preserved much of Egypt. He preserved the prosperity of his family, the, his brothers who were uh, the, the Israelis, the Hebrews. They actually came out of the land of Canaan, which is now called Israel, and came into Egypt because the famine affected them. So that was his now prophecy. Again, he probably could have really not cared about an antichrist or a harlot world religion or ET deception. I mean, he was, he was concerned about what would happen right then and affect his family his grandchildren. And I can go through a whole list of these things, but the most important thing for any generation is the prophetic information God gave to that generation for their well-being so that they could prepare for it and get ready for it. And I believe at this point in time, we've got prophecies that could happen, real live prophecies, end times prophecies that are globally impacting and basically, they're not being taught about it on most of the pulpits, and people are at best just talking about them, not really preparing for them. You just said something there that you know they're not being talked about in most of the pulpits. We know that there's been a falling away in the Church of America, specifically with the pastors, and more importantly with the congregations who continue to follow those pastors in their falling away instead of doing their due diligence uh, for the Lord and opening up the Bible and reading it for themselves, um, how much of the mainstream church are going to be shocked and surprised and confused by these now prophecies as they come to fruition? Well, I, I dread to say a vast majority because they're just not getting the information. So many pulpits, do not you don't hear the prophetic word of God. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there's a few that sort of still do. Calvary chapels tend to still go through each chapter of the Bible, and when they come to the prophetic sections, they, the pastors do their best to give some commentaries on those prophecies. But that's kind of an exception now these days. So, I mean, I don't have a specific number for you, but I would say that, you know, probably 90% of the churches today are not really preparing the flock for what's about to happen. Yeah, that's uh, that's very sad. Um, especially with the amount of uh, the availability of information we have today. Uh, you know, there's so much out there, uh, as, especially with the electronic age, this technological age. We have the not only the Bible at our fingertips, but the concordances, and, you know, we can really dissect the Word of God in many ways using technology, yet so many people... Um, it seems that their fire for the Lord has has went out. Their oil is gone from their lamps, and uh, they care more about the comforts of the world rather than the Word of God and fulfilling uh, His will for them in their life. And that's well, very sad. That's true in America, and most American Christians believe that they represent the overall body of Christ, and they believe that, uh, and many Americans do believe that God sits up in heaven humming the Star Spangled Banner all day dressed in the American flag. But, you know, on the other hand, there are other people like in Iran or in the Syrian refugee camps or in China uh, 
places in India where they are on fire for the Lord. They're experiencing dreams, visions, healings, miracles. They are being persecuted. They are reading the Word of God daily. They are, they are growing in the Lord at a record pace, and, and the Lord is facilitating that supernaturally with these dreams and visions and things. So I, I often get an opportunity to um, let my fellow American Christians know Listen, step outside of the confines of American Christianity and look at what God is doing throughout other parts of the world because many people are really rapidly growing in the Lord. It's amazing to listen to some of these testimonies like on YouTube of Muslims converting to Christianity and, and hearing them speak from the Word of God how, how they're so blessed by it. You know they're studying and they're getting... A lot of them, unfortunately, have to read it over the Internet or through satellite television because it's difficult for them to actually get Bibles, especially Bibles translated into their languages. But I would say, listen, you know, we don't want to take for granted the ability that most of us have easy access to a Bible and many of us have five or six or ten laying around in our house. And uh, you see some of these videos where, like, the Chinese people get their first Bible... Uh, and they are kissing it and hugging it and they're crying and you know that's it's it's like Jesus Christ they're kissing his feet you know the word of god and so i would encourage the christians to really you know remember that this is really our manual bible the acronym b i b l e basic instructions before leaving the earth you know this is this is an inspired word an inspired love message from god to us with so much application today prophetically speaking that uh, that's my goal joe is just to let people know look here's the stuff that you need to look at. It's one thing to go to a purpose-driven church or something like that and hear the gospel, and it's great to see people can still get saved through these basic evangelical messages, and then there's baptisms going on, and, and that is super. That is wonderful. But that is not all the information that the Bible provides. We've got to find that information that's very applicable, prophetically speaking, because God wants us to know the information. You know, Bible prophecy is 100% it's invaluable predictive information outsourced from a loving God with 100% accuracy. It is foolproof, intended to authenticate His sovereignty, to equip us for the days in which we live. It can save li spare lives and save souls. And that's what God intended Bible prophecy for. And when He gave these nuggets of information centuries ago through the Hebrew prophets, some of which made no sense to them at the time, because it didn't apply to them, and none of it made it, was matching up with the environments they lived in. When they were given this information, a lot of it they were given for us to have, not because God needed them to take notes for him because he's got a bad memory. No, not at all. God knows the beginning from the end. His memory is not in question. This is information for us to have because he loves us and wants to know what's going to go down. Absolutely. In one of your last books, you, uh, The Nuclear Showdown in Iran, The Prophecies of Elam, uh, you categoried how millions of, of Iranians were, were coming to Christ and had their, had a, a new faith in Jesus, and that was very inspiring. And uh, we can we can talk on that more in a little bit. I'm going to just continue to go through uh, asking you questions based on the table of contents of your new book, The Now Prophecies, uh, by author Bill Salas, who is our guest. His website is prophecydepotministries.net. Where are we now on God's timeline? Well, I'm glad we're going to start there, Joe. Like I said in an earlier comment, the most important information, prophetically speaking, for any given generation was the information intended for them to benefit from, to learn about and to prepare for and be equipped by. Um, right now we are between two monumental events. I call them marquee events. They're like bookends. 
And since we're going to have to do a visual, uh, uh, an, an audio visual here, I'm going to have to explain it and, and narrate it, what we've got here on the timeline. So I want your listeners to pretend like they've got a 36-inch yardstick in front of them. And inch number one is a very important Bible prophecy that was fulfilled on May 14th of 1948. And that was the rebirth of the nation of Israel. That is when end, the end times began. That is when all of the end times Bible prophecies sort of kind of became unlocked and imaginable that they could actually find fulfillment. They would start to make sense. Oh, now there's an Israel. Prophecies like Psalm 83 that says uh, an Arab confederacy wants to destroy Israel could happen. Or prophecies in uh, Ezekiel 38 where it says Russia is going to come and invade Israel. Well, that could happen now because there's an Israel. So everything starts to become very relevant with that monumental event that happened in May 14th of 1948. And I'm gonna, I'd like to take a little time in a moment to explain why that is such a significant event on, in prophetically speaking, in more than what I just commented on. But let's take our yardstick. That was inch one. Now we're going to move our finger all the way up to around inch 32. So we've covered a lot of ground, and that has only happened in 67 years. Israel became a nation in 1948, and we're coming into almost, it'll be a 68-year anniversary if we get into 2016 here on May 14th. So we're 67, almost 68 years up now at the 32-inch mark. we got four inches left till we hit the next monumental event, which is Ezekiel 38. And I'm going to talk about that prophecy in this program as well. We're rapidly approaching the next marquee event, the bookend on our yardstick here, where God is going to use that event, this prophecy, to make his holy name known in the midst of his people Israel that God has reestablished 68 years ago, so that they shall not profane his holy name anymore, and the nation shall know he's the Lord, and surely the Holy One in Israel, it says. So we're actually moving forward rapidly to this major event that the Lord chose out of all end times prophecies to give us explicit amount of details in chapters Ezekiel 38 and 39 because that's the event He's going to use, the sole event, not the rapture, not Psalm 83, uh, not a numerous amount of it. It's this one event where God is going to let the world know He's God, the one true God. He's going to silence His critics. He's going to shoot replacement theologians in the foot. He's going to let people know that Israel has a right to that land over there. It's not disputed or occupied territory. We're racing toward that event. However, that event, we're going to say it's maybe four inches away on our timeline yardstick here, that event has some preconditions. It pictures an Israel that's dwelling securely without walls, bars, nor gates, and receipt of all this great prosperity, because that's what Russia and their cohorts are going to come and invade for, that plunder and that booty. But Israel's not dwelling 100% in those conditions yet. They've got, they're the most fenced-in and fortified nation in the whole world. They've got fences all around every land-bearing perimeter. They've got security checkpoints throughout, and they're not dwelling securely. They're under threats of missiles from every different angle. So that's a I call the next prophecy because it has preconditions. It's not a now prophecy, and yet we're almost ready for that prophecy to find fulfillment. We're almost ready for God to say, I'm God, everybody. I'm going to let you know I love you and I'm God through that particular event. So here's the problem. If we're at inch 32, graphically speaking, and we got we just went through 68 years to get from inch 1 to inch 32, I don't know how many more years we got to get to inch 36 with Ezekiel 38. I don't suggest it's very much longer. But we have certain events, now events, that can happen now. And there's probably eight or nine of them that we'll talk on this show about 
that will come in this gap between inch 32 and inch 36. And they are powerful, Joe. These are events that will change everybody's world, and they will never be able to return back to the same world they once inhabited. It's going to change everything. And we're, we're that close right now to God saying, look, I'm going to let you know I'm God. And that is wonderful news if you're a believer and a Christian, but also you got to now know, okay, how's the stage going to be set so that Ezekiel 38 can actually go from being a next prophecy to a now prophecy. So hopefully that made some sense visually and graphically for your listeners. And now we need to say, well, what did I unpack what I just said? Okay, what are the prophecies? What, what is Ezekiel 38? What, why should I be concerned? That sort of thing, Joe. Yeah, um, reading here, uh, is America in Ezekiel 38, Ezekiel 38, the marquee event? Um, either one of those. Which one would you like to tackle first? Well, I want to get into America, and I know that a lot of your listeners are going to be real concerned about that. But before we get into America, we probably need to um, talk about a few of the other ones. Okay. Because, And we certainly need to talk a little bit more about Ezekiel 38. Because if if we're in Ezekiel 38, and I believe we probably are, as the young lions of, Tar- of the merchants of Tarshish in Ezekiel 38, chapter 13, um, the listeners who aren't that familiar with the prophecy need to have a little refresher course and be taught just briefly about Ezekiel 38. And so if I have a moment, Joe, can I go ahead and do that? And then we'll we'll talk about a few of the Middle East prophecies that will now affect us in America as well. So why don't I start Absolutely. with Ezekiel 38? Okay. Yeah. All right, Ezekiel 38 and 39. If you, dear listener, are a student of Bible prophecy, undoubtedly you have spent some time in these verses, in these two chapters, because it is the most... I think, from what my studies in Bible prophecy, the most detail-specific Bible prophecy in the whole Bible. It's, it's a menu of various prophecies that all are centered around this main prophecy where God's going to stop this Russian invasion of Israel and let the world know he's God. And I believe God gave this so much specificity, which tells us any kind of detail you'd want, like who's invading Israel, what time on the timeline are they invading Israel? It says it'll be in the latter days. It tells us it's going to be Russia and a coalition of nine members. It includes Iran, Turkey, uh, probably some of the breakaway republics of the southern steppes of Russia, the former Soviet Union, probably some of the North African countries like, uh, you know, maybe Tunisia and Morocco and Libya is definitely involved. Turkey, Iran, we talked about those. And so in reality, there's nine specific populations he talks about. He's very specific. They're going to come against Israel from the uttermost parts of the north upon the mountains of Israel. And, of course, today these are armed and dangerous populations and countries. And it says that God's going to stop them and and that he's going to stop them, not the Israeli Defense Forces, not America, but God through an earthquake, fire, hailstone, and brimstone. So we get all these specific details. And then when they've been stopped in their tracks supernaturally, he comes out with this verse in Ezekiel 39, 7, that I will let the nation, I will make my holy name known in the midst of my people Israel. They shall not profane it anymore, and the nation shall know I'm the Lord, the Holy One in Israel. Surely it is coming. Is this the day that I have spoken of, referring to when it happens? And then he gets on in Ezekiel 39 and talks about how they'll be cleaning up in the aftermath. Again, this, the, the details are so specific and so graphic and so literally easy to understand and interpret. They're going to be cleansing the land for a period of seven months, taking away the, any potential diseases. And also, it's probably it was a ritual requirement of the Mosaic Law. It's probably indicative of the fact that the Jews, with this victory, 
are going to be trying to reestablish their old Mosaic law. They're not going to be jumping on the Jesus train going, hey, Jesus, just say this. They're going to gravitate back to wanting to have their temple if it's not already built, sacrificing animals, and being the client nation of the Old Testament of God. And it says they'll be cleansing the land for seven months. And then it says they'll be burning the weapons, converting it into fuel for seven years. Again, it gets more and more specific. It even tells us where they're going to bury the, the hordes of Gog, the, the Russian invaders and all their soldiers, in some valley called Hamangog, which I believe that will actually be in Jordan. And I specify that in my why I believe that in various books. But anyway, my point being is this event is huge. This is going to be the most massive armed and dangerous Middle East invasion throughout all history up to that point in time. And that's the event God has chosen. It will have a captivated, captivated world audience. Every eye will be glued to their television sets wondering what is going on, what is Russia doing. And then all of a sudden they're going to see this miraculous defeat. And then God's going to be able to clearly say, hey, I did that. Not Allah, not Buddha, not America, but the one true God of the Bible who's going to uphold his holy name through Israel, who he's made unconditional covenants with, through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and through them comes the Jewish people, comes the Messiah, Jesus Christ. So he's going to prove that he upholds his covenants and keeps his promises. And that is, that's where this is all heading, and we're getting really, really near to it. And that's Ezekiel 38 and 39. So when you take those 52 verses and you look at them, and I invite everyone who's listening to me to, to read them, even if you're not even a believer or you're not a rocket scientist, it doesn't matter. You're going to walk away from reading Ezekiel 30 and 39 with a really good understanding because God wants you to know about this prophecy. So that is a really big deal. Now, when you study other Bible prophecies, Joe, it says, um, you know, it's, in one of the verses in the Bible, it says, it's the glory of God to conceal a matter and the glory of kings to search out a matter. So you'll start to see with other Bible prophecies You've got to find a little nugget from Jeremiah and a little nugget from Zephaniah and a little nugget from Isaiah. And then you start piecing these together and you get the details of a, another given prophecy. They kind of put them in various different prophets, different time frames, but they all are like different camera angles of a coming event. But that's not the case with Ezekiel 30 and 39. It is all self-contained because God wants everybody to be clear. He's going to let the world know he's God in that specific event. So anyway, with that said... And one of the other details in Ezekiel 38 is there's these protesters in verse 13. It says, Sheba, Dedan, the merchants of Tarshish, and their young lions shall say to you, speaking to the Russian invaders, have you come to take plunder and great booty and spoil? So in other words, they're, they're echoing the motive of the invasion that Russia wants to come and invade this Israel, this one securely in the end times, for their prosperity. And so here's the question, and I, and I go into the book, the now prophecies in great detail of, of suggesting why we're in this prophecy right there, protesting this invasion. And here's the question, why are we protesting this invasion? Why are we not helping Israel? Why are we not fighting against Russia? And many of the Bible teachers these days who subscribe to this thinking, myself included, would say that's because we're not the same superpower country that we once were when this prophecy finds fulfillment, this prophecy that's about to find fulfillment. So what happens between now and then is, in my estimation, the decline of this country for various reasons, biblically, spiritually, morally, and I get into a whole list of indictments, unfortunately. And I'm an American. I've got grandkids growing up here, and I, you know, I don't want anything to happen to this country, but we've got to face the facts of how this country has pretty much kicked God 
uh, out of our country, and we keep poking them in the eye and punching them in the face. So we've got we've got to take a look at this seriously. But that's just a, a, a hint as to getting into the America section. But they had to understand Ezekiel 38 first, in my estimation. Okay. Um, so from the decline of the America, decline of America to Ezekiel 38, we know that, as you said, one of the uh, first things that needs to be there is Israel to be a nation again. And that seems to be one of the main planks of all of these now prophecies and end-time prophecies is the regathering of God's people into God's holy land. Uh, I'm going to ask a question kind of off, uh, off base here, Bill. Um, the borders in the country of Israel right now, should we expect to see, is there going to be a rearranging of these borders uh, in the near future, is there also a prophecy where there could be a potential for the land to be split? Yes. Um, so let's let's skip ahead into that. And at some point, because we have a long show here, it's, it's the good thing about the two to three hour shows is we don't have to throw it all into a thirty minute spot, right? <laughs> That's <laughs> so right. We can, can kind of bob and weave inside of a, a certain thing. Um, the Israel will someday occupy land from the river of Egypt to Nile, more than likely the Nile, to the river Euphrates, which courses through Syria and Iraq today. This is land that was promised to Abraham in Genesis 15, 18, and elsewhere. At no point in Israel's history did they ever occupy all of that land in its entirety. During the time of Joshua, maybe around 3,300 years ago or so, they occupied more land than they actually occupy today. And then around 3000 BC with King David and followed by King Solomon, his son, they occupied even more land. They actually reached up through parts of Syria through invasions and got up to the river Euphrates for a while. But then again in 70 AD, with the conquest of the Roman Empire over Israel, uh, they were dispersed into the nations of the world. And at that point in time, it started to, Israel started to become a contested place in 135 AD when there was a final revolt of the Jews led by Bar Kokhba. Uh, they were defeated and Emperor Hadrian at the time, he was so upset with the Jews that basically he uh, renamed the area Aeolia Palestinia. In other words, that's when people started calling it Palestine. He had asked his uh, scribes and consultants, he said, who was Israel's worst enemy throughout all their time? And the word came up the Philistines, and so he said, "Well, let's call it Philist, you know, Aeolia Palestinia, which is Philistia in the Latin, that kind of thing." So now, all of a sudden, from that point forward, 135 A.D., the Jews are being dispersed out in the nations of the world, and the land of Israel has been renamed. And then in 1948, back to our yardstick, that major monumental event that where God uh, established the nation of Israel, after 1878 years of dispersion into the nations of the world, fulfilling numerous prophecies in 1948, um, Israel gets back in the land. Now, immediately they go to war with the Arabs, who happen to be in a prophecy of Psalm 83, which I believe has not found final fulfillment, which is... I believe about to find fulfillment in advance of Ezekiel 38 to, to set the stage for Ezekiel 38 and then in 1967 so they win that war in 48, the Jews do in 1967 they get attacked again by those Psalm 83 countries at least uh, some of them Egypt, Jordan and Syria and they win that war in six days and in that six day war the, in the aftermath they almost tripled their size by taking over the Golan Heights um, 
the West Bank, the Gaza, parts of the Sinai, and now they've given some of that back. You know, Egypt, the Sinai is in Gaza. Gaza's the Hamas are living in there now and all that stuff. But they, again, tripled their size. They expanded territorially. And this is what happens when Israel wins wars. They kind of expand territorially because it increases the defensibility of their borders. Now, so the question is, when will they occupy all that land? Well, they're going to occupy all the land from the river of Egypt to the river Nile, the, the Nile River when Jesus returns and sets up his messianic kingdom for a thousand years in Revelation 20, verse 4. Um, whatever land they haven't achieved and attained by that time, they will get because that's all promised to them. But what I believe is going to happen is they're going to get more land incrementally in the aftermath of these now prophecies that I've written about. So, for instance, in Jeremiah 49, we, we find out that they're going to actually expand into Jordan. Um, we find out in Obadiah, uh, the book of Obadiah, around verse uh, chapter 1, verse 20 and 21, they're going to move into southern Lebanon, an area called Zarephath. They're going to take over the West Bank. Um, you know, parts of Egypt, probably, in Isaiah 19. So, I, And I get into all these more specifically in the book. But mm -hmm. so... Where I'm to answer your question, your simple question that I'm giving you a ten minute answer on is yeah, Israel is going to expand territorially in my estimation in the aftermath of winning some wars of these now prophecies, and they're gonna redraw the atlases of the Middle East like they did in the twentieth century after World War One when the Ottoman Empire collapsed in nineteen seventeen. You had you had redrawn territories Afghanistan, 1919, Egypt, 1922, uh, yep. Saudi Arabia and Iraq, 1935, Syria, Jordan, I think it was 1946, and then Israel, 1948. That was all, that all changed. Now we're going to, I think you're going to see new atlases coming up here pretty soon. Well, uh, yeah, that was a, a very well said uh, answer to, to a question. And if we can continue off that, the Ottoman Empire, which you just mentioned, uh, as you write in your book, the Ottoman Empire's control over the Middle East ended with its with its defeat in World War One. Um, if we can talk a little bit about this, about the importance of Turkey and the uh, capital Constantinople in in Bible prophecies, in the Nile prophecies, uh, what role does Turkey play? Because many have speculated about Erdogan, its allegiance to ISIS, and its role in the Middle East Arab Spring. Uh, that we are seeing take place right now? Well, Turkey, the Turkish Empire, which really sort of, also known as the Ottoman Empire, which was a powerful empire. It was it was pretty much an Islamic caliphate, meaning um, an, a, an empire that was governed by Islamic law, um, and it led the way at the helm for 1517 and 1917. I mean, that's a long time for an empire to reign. Uh, throughout that time, the, the Spanish Empire started to rise and fall, and then the second rise of the British Empire happened to a point where it said the sun never used to set on the British Empire. These things were all kind of going on during the uh, parallel time going on where the Middle East was dominated by the Ottoman Empire. So what happened was the Ottoman Empire, they uh, sided with Germany in World War One, and they got defeated. And in the process, Britain and France pretty much took over the Middle East area there. France was in charge of what is now modern-day Syria. They were in charge of parts of Lebanon. Uh, Britain was taking care of what was then Palestine, which now is Israel, and uh, 
a couple areas that had Jordan and things like that. So we saw that that transpired. Now, as far as Turkey, all of a sudden they were in trouble because they got defeated handily. Um, so we ask ourselves, so what about Turkey's future? Well, Turkey is in the Bible. Um, they are listed in Ezekiel 38, verses 1 through 4, 1 through 5, I think. And they're they're known there by their old name. You know, remember when these prophets wrote, they had to go by the names of their time for those territories and those populations because they didn't have Turkey, i.e., or they didn't have Palestinians or Jordanians or Hezbollah. Those are more modernized terms. And so we find them as Meshach and Tubal and Togarma in Ezekiel 38. And they are right next to Russia. So it starts with Gog and Magog. So we would say Russia is sort of the leader there. And then it goes into Meshech and Tubal and Togarma and all these guys. And that puts them right in alignment, like the number two man on the totem pole with Russia's coalition. Then you get down into verse 5 and you got Persia, which would be Iran, and you got Libya and Ethiopia and places like that. So nine members all together. So Turkey's in Ezekiel 38 and 39. Uh, it's probably one of the few places you're going to find any future information about Turkey. Now, some people running around who advocate for the, the Antichrist will be a Muslim, they actually believe Turkey's going to reemerge as kind of another superpower or a, an empire again. I, I don't see that at all, I, and I don't subscribe to a Muslim Antichrist theory. But um, you'll hear some people talking about that. But basically, Turkey's going to come with Russia against Israel, they're going to come with Russia and Iran against Israel in Ezekiel 38, and they're going to take a shellacking, and they're going to be wiped out. And it's that event that we talked about earlier, that monumental marquee event where God's going to let the world know he's God. He's going to stop it. So, you know, that's coming. Turkey's future, uh, what's interesting is when Russia went into Syria and started fighting against ISIS and tried to prop up the Bashar al-Assad regime, the president of, of Syria, um, everybody started thinking, oh my goodness, Russia's footprints now in the Middle East, could this be the, the beginning of Ezekiel 38? And shortly thereafter, Turkey shot down one of Russia's jets. And all of a sudden, you got a schism between Turkey and Russia. So, you know, I cautioned people at the time, I said, you know, wait a minute, Turkey and Russia are going to be allies together in this prophecy. So, they're not allies right now. They're, they're at odds with each other. You know, Turkey's not interested in Bashar al-Assad being the president over there. Turkey's are Sunnis. Sunni Muslims, whereas Bashar al-Assad, he's a, he subscribes to Shiite Muslims, which is he's a proxy of Iran. Iran's are Shias, Shiites. So the different factions within Islam. So and Saudi Arabia is all concerned too. You know they're actually Sunnis as well. So anyway, not to get out of the rabbit trail away from the topic, uh, Turkey is going to be in trouble. I mean their their best days are behind them with the Ottoman Empire, in my estimation. Interesting. Uh, very interesting. Uh, and a different take than, than we've heard uh, from a lot of other guests on the show. Uh, since I jumped around so much, Bill, <clears throat> I'm going to turn it over to you and let you pick up where you think we should uh, continue. Okay, well, let's. Uh, it's always important to keep the groundwork and the fundamentals up front, and then we can get into the specifics of the prophecies. Okay. Um, the first thing I said about where we're at on the timeline we're 68 years past the monumental event of the rebirth of the rebirth of the nation of Israel. Let's spend a moment on that. There was many prophecies talking about a time when the, the Lord would bring the Jews out of the nations of the world 
into a restored nation of Israel. Now, a lot of the church today is uh, subscribes to what's called replacement theology. It's really actually quite a cancerous thing. And it, it plagues much of the visible church today. And what that is, and it's been developing through the ages, through the centuries, is that they believe that God is done with the Jewish people. The, the so-called chosen people of the Old Testament, when they rejected Jesus Christ as the Messiah, God rejected them. And I'm just giving as kind of a summary version of what replacement theology is. And in the aftermath, the promises that were unfulfilled and the prophecies that were unfulfilled were bequeathed over to the church. So now the church is Israel. The church is the chosen people. And so when Israel became a nation in 1948, the church generally visibly thought, well, this is just a moral obligation of the United Nations after the Jewish people were, you know, genocide was almost committed on them. You know, sure, they should have a homeland, but they didn't see the biblical significance of it because they, they thought God was done with the Jew. Well, that's a, that's a crying shame. I mean, that is a really big deal, the rebirth of the nation of Israel. And it says in Jeremiah 23, 7, Therefore, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that they shall no longer say, as the Lord lives who brought up the children of Israel from the land of Egypt, but as the Lord lives who brought up and led the descendants of the house of Israel from the north country and from the south countries where I had driven them, and they shall dwell in their own land. So around 590 B.C., Jeremiah is writing this information, and he's saying there's going to come a time when the Jews are going to be coming out from the north countries and all the countries where they had been driven, and they will dwell in their own land. And it's going to be such a big deal that it will overshadow the time when the Jews were led out of Egyptian captivity by Moses, which was such a big deal. You, you know, you've heard of the story where they go to the Red Sea after all the plagues plagued Egypt, and then the Hebrews with Moses are going to the Red Sea. And here comes Pharaoh and his army barreling down on them in uh, Moses lifts up his hands in the Red Sea's part, and the Hebrews go through on dry land. And here comes Pharaoh coming after them, and the waters converge and destroy Pharaoh and his armies. And that was such a big miracle. It's never been duplicated since. And that was such a big miracle that the Hebrew people always taught their children, remember that event. Uh, God can deliver us from, from Goliath's circumstances. Remember Egypt. Remember the Red Seas. That was enshrined in their culture and in their thinking and the way they raised their families. I mean, they didn't sit around and play Sony Playstations. They didn't have that. They weren't watching DVDs. They were sitting around talking about their history and learning about the Mosaic Law. And this was enshrined throughout time immemorial to the Hebrew people. But what Jeremiah is saying is that is going to pale in comparison to what we're seeing right now in the world, right now with Israel being a nation again, and then when you think about what God had to do, and I, I'm going to break this down. We talked about the Ottoman Empire. Why is it? Why is this going to be such a bigger deal than the parting of the Red Seas, which was a huge deal? Well, I'm going to lay a few things out. One, the Lord had to implant the spirit of Zionism, which is that desire for the Jewish people who were scattered throughout the nations of the world for centuries to want to come back into a homeland as a people. Um, so in... Theodore Herzl in the late 1800s, 1897, he's the father of Zionism. He wrote a book called Der Judenstadt, which in German means a Jewish state. And his goal of that book 
it was to let the Jewish people scattered throughout the nations of the world know we need to go back into our homeland, restore it, because if we don't, anti-Semitism is going to kill us, which we know started to happen in World War One and World War Two. So yeah. he was right on with that, and so and this was this was a land that was had been desolate for years, and 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 then here's this guy coming along saying we need to go back there. You know, and so he, you know, it wasn't wasn't a popular tourist destination, right? The Jews had gotten comfortable in their cultures and their languages, and but now all of a sudden they're starting to feel this need to go back into this desolate place that once upon a time was called Israel. And then what he he had to do, he, you know, there was no way in the late 1800s that you could facilitate migration of Jewish people back into Israel because it was controlled by the Ottoman Empire. It was all Muslim, generally speaking, dominated. So. Something had to be done with the Ottoman Empire. They had to be taken out of the way so that Israel could actually safely, you could have an Israel with Jewish people coming back in it. So they were taken out World War One. In the aftermath, Arab homelands were created. We talked about some of them, Egypt 1922 and stuff. This was the remapping that went on in the 20th century after World War One and up until the Israel in 1948, throughout World War Two and stuff too. So what happened was the Arabs were being put back into their ancestral places so that the Jews could be put back into their place. See, this is all sovereign stuff. This is something the United Nations can't do. I mean, they, they yes, they did legislate the rebirth of the nation of Israel, but then you had, he had to prevent the Nazi genocide so that the Jews could actually come back to the land of Israel. And in so doing, he had to empower the Allied forces to prevent the Nazi genocide. And think about the strange bedfellows of a communist Russia versus a capitalistic America. That, that just doesn't happen. And yet, that did happen. That's a miracle. Then he had to create the Jewish state, which happened in 1948 against resistance by the Arab countries. All the Arab countries voted against it at the United Nations. All the Arab countries warred against it in 1948 when it became a nation. He had to empower the Israeli Defense Forces today, which is the number one military in the Middle East, to fight off the Arabs that were trying to prevent them from existing and still are. And then he had to preserve and prosper Israel because Russia is going to come after an Israel in Ezekiel 38 that is extremely prosperous. So, you know, I just like to share with people... Give God some credit here. This is not a moral obligation to the United Nations. This is a fulfillment of many prophecies. I only read one in Jeremiah 23, 7. Other ones talk about, can a nation be birthed in one day? Uh, Ezekiel 36 yeah. talks about the Jews coming out of the nations of the world in a condition of unbelief, which is the case. They came in, and a lot of them don't even believe in God, don't even believe in Jesus. Uh, Ezekiel 37 says they'll come in a, at a time, out of a time when they... They feel their bones are dry, their hope is lost, and they themselves are cut off. Well, that's exactly what happened after the Holocaust, as the Jewish people felt that condition. Uh, so, anyway, I'm, I'm kind of rambling on, but I, I want to pound home the fact that that was a critical event. Now that there's an Israel, and that was a fulfillment of many Bible prophecies, the church kind of missed it. And we don't want to miss it anymore, because until you understand how central the theme of Israel is, you're not going to really take to heart the prophecies that are going to start to happen now that will affect you that are very Israel-centered. And God is going to lead up to this point where he's going to, through Israel, not the church, he says, I'll make my holy name known through my people Israel, not my people the church, this is Ezekiel 39.7. This is where we're headed. And that's huge. This stuff that's about to happen is going to change everything. And there will be no turning back the clock once this stuff starts to happen. No, you're right about that. And, you know, you write about the end of World War One and the Belfort Declaration. 
and the you know what was not accomplished at the end of World War One was accomplished at the end of World War Two, and that verse that you quoted, "Can a nation be born in a day?" Uh, it's stunning to me to see, uh, to be able to look and and see how Israel, out of nothing after two thousand years, had become a nation again in one day. Obviously, we saw the uh, the horrible nature and and the uh, genocide of the Holocaust. Um, but that had to happen to bring back Israel. Uh, that was part of God's plan to bring Israel you know, back Joe, as a nation. Joe, I'm glad you brought that up because there is no other ethnic group in history that was ever outside of their homeland, I believe, for more than 400 years that ever survived, let alone come back into their country. Yeah, and that, I mean, that is amazing. And not only that, it is, you know, it was prophesied about in the Bible that they would come back, that they would come back as a people. And it, the prophecy goes on to continue that they would be a people that know their God uh, and that love their God, which was a state that they were not in uh, at the as they were in the first nation of Israel. And, you know, as you said, the people um, in the 1800s, you couldn't have a, a uh, uh, call for, for Jews to come back to the land of Israel uh, not the way you did after World War II. It's kind of like when they were taken to Babylon for 70 years, and the people did not want to go back, in a way, uh, to their to their homeland, to their promised land. They they wanted to stay in Babylon. But this, um, you know, after the Holocaust, they were born in a day. And there was a lot of, of other um, prophetic and important things that happened, you know, with the, the United Nations becoming... Um, uh, a world power, we can say, uh, at the end of World War II and the defeat of the Nazis per se, because we know Nazism is still alive and well, uh, especially kept alive by our government, America. And it's just fascinating to, to go through all this stuff uh, and be able to identify it as uh, for what it is. But we're coming up against our top-of-the-hour break. Folks, you're listening to the Hagman and Hagman Report on this Thursday. Our guest is Bill Salas. He is the author of The Now Prophecies. It's a book and DVD. Go to his website, prophecydepotministry.net. That's prophecydepotministries. I'm sorry, prophecydepotministries.net, prophecydepotministries.net. And check out his books, Israelistine, The Psalm 83 War, uh... The Nuclear Showdown in Iran, Prophecies of Alam, and the latest one, The Now Prophecies, uh, by Bill Salas. We'll be right back with Bill after the short break. Stay with, stay with us. This is the Global Star Radio Network. Ever look at your city, town, or its people the same way ever again? Stained by Blood, a murder investigation based upon a true story by private investigator Douglas J. Hagman. Using the character Mark Stiles, Hagman takes you on a journey behind the scenes where the homicide becomes a secondary to an underworld of satanic ritual abuse, child abduction, and even mind-controlled experimentation. A world dismissed as conspiracy by those who want to keep its secrets hidden, 
exposing the dangers, denials, and deceptions. For five years, a brutal killer remained on the loose, free to kill again. As Mark struggles to navigate the maze of bizarre twists and untangle a web of deeply hidden secrets kept by some of the most powerful and influential people in his community and beyond, you may never look at your city, town, or its people the same way ever again. Stained by blood. Order your copy of this engaging novel today at HagmanandHagman.com and click on the link. Stained by Blood. Ladies and gentlemen, to hour number two of this Thursday edition of the Hagman and Hagman Report, we are joined by author, speaker, radio show host, and friend of the show, Mr. Bill Salas. His website is prophecydepotministries.net. That's prophecydepotministries.net. We're going to get right back to him, uh, but we're going to talk about Whole Tones first. Uh, tonight's broadcast is brought to you by wholetoneslive.com. That's wholetoneslive.com. Are you sick of being stressed, overwhelmed, and unmotivated? Do you feel like life is running you instead of you running your life? You are not alone. Finally, you can experience the, the scientifically proven powers of music therapy with Whole Tones, a collection of proven music therapy that can help reduce stress, ease your mind, and motivate you. You can get started today and listen to a free sample of this amazing music that heals and inspires at WholeTonesLive.com. One of many happy Whole Tones clients said, I started playing Whole Tones throughout my workday. Not only was I more creative and motivated, the work I was doing seemed easier and clearer. We've had Michael Terrell on our show, and he has explained how the music was inspired by the music frequencies of King David. Go to the website and download a free sample at WholeTonesLive.com. That's Whole Tones, W-H-O-L-E, T-O-N-E-S, live.com. Support the Hagman and Hagman Show and go to WholeTonesLive.com. That's WholeTonesLive.com. Again, Michael Terrell has been a guest on our show on numerous occasions, and he's explained the uh, frequencies of King David, and we've had many listeners who have used the product, uh, listened to the music, and have sent uh, just tremendous feedback on how it has not only healed their mind, it has healed some physical ailments, how it has just made things more relaxing and easier. And we thank Michael Terrell for being a sponsor of our show uh, here at the Hagman and Hagman Report. Back to our guest tonight, Mr. Bill Salas. His website, again, prophecydepotministries.net. I urge everybody to bookmark this website because there is all kinds of great content on here. You can check out um, Bill's radio show. You can check out a lot of the latest uh, news articles and media interviews. One of the ones I really enjoyed that I watched yesterday on his latest book, The Now Prophecies, is under the latest articles and media interviews, right uh, right down just below the top of his page. The Now Prophecies, number one bestseller in Prophecy Watchers history. You click on that link, you can watch a three-part 
video of an interview that Gary Stearman did with Bill on his latest book, The Now Prophecies. And it was a fantastic interview, and I really enjoyed watching it. Bill, welcome back to the show. I'm going to turn it over to you, and uh, let's get going here in hour number two. And uh, we're talking about the Now Prophecies. Yes, and for the viewers that, excuse me, the listeners that just uh, tuned in, the Now Prophecies are the prophetic events that the Lord predicted centuries ago that at this point in time could happen at any given moment, at the present time, which is Nancy's in essence, is what now means at the present time. These are events that lack significant conditions. There are minor or no conditions that stand between them and their fulfillment. And therefore, they become very relevant to us today. So we talked about those, and we talked about where we're at on the timeline between the rebirth of the nation of Israel 68 years ago and the rapidly approaching prophecy of Ezekiel 38, where the Lord will let the world know that he's the one true God of the Bible. We're rapidly approaching that, but there are events that seem to uh, happen between now and then. And so what are those events? And so we're going to kind of look at those in the second hour, one by one, with some specificity. Um, of course, the book and the DVD that goes with it, the Now Prophecies, uh, is all the research and all the preparation and all the explanation, so we can only do so much in the radio time allotted. The first one to talk about is in the sequential order of how I think these things will unfold, these ancient predictions that have not found fulfillment, that will someday find fulfillment because, in, because Bible prophecies were not uh, supposed to remain on the parchments that they were written on indefinitely. They will someday roll off the parchment and they will hit the payment with a bang. And I think that's about to happen in some of these instances. And so Iran... Iran is in the news. Is Iran in the Bible? Well, the answer to that is yes and yes. It is in the Bible in two different places, the future of Iran. One of them we talked about in Ezekiel 38 in the first hour. Iran is part of the Ezekiel 38 coalition that comes to invade Israel for plunder and booty in this major prophecy. But they have a double jeopardy, a dual prophecy in the end times that has been vastly overlooked and I write about it extensively in my book called Nuclear Showdown in Iran, revealing the ancient prophecy of Elam, E-L-A-M. Now, Elam is in Iran. Ancient Elam is in Iran today. It's that area that hugs the Persian Gulf. It's where the Bashar nuclear reactor is. So when you look at a modern-day map of Iran, it is comprised of ancient Persia, which is about four-fifths of Iran today, and Elam, which would be about the other fifth. Now, this prophecy written by Jeremiah around 596 B.C., I believe, is dealing with Iran's nuclear scenario. I think the details are pretty specific and point in that direction. And I believe, therefore, this is a prophecy for our time. And basically, I'm going to give you a summary of the prophecy. These six verses, they're pretty self-explanatory, so I invite you to read them in your Bible, Jeremiah 49, verses 34 through 39. Basically, what is being said in this prophecy... As Jeremiah said, there's going to come a time when the Lord is going to be furious with Iran. He's going to be furious with Iran, ancient Elam, because they've got bad leadership. And we know this because the prophecy says the Lord is going to destroy the kings and the princes from that area. And the Lord would not destroy good leadership. This is bad leadership. 
Presently, Iran has bad leadership that needs to be destroyed. Uh, there's no way around it. They are repressing their people, and they want to s spread their Islamic hegemony throughout the world, especially they're already doing it throughout the Middle East. They're working with intercontinental ballistic missiles, trying to develop them, which have one thing in purpose in mind, and that is to carry a nuclear warhead or weapons of mass destruction in their warhead, and they were working on a nuclear program and are rapidly approaching the ability to have a nuclear bomb if they don't already have one. Now, Israel's extremely concerned about this, but why is the Lord furious with this, this leadership in this prophecy? Because the prophecy tells us that they want to launch something lethal somewhere. And so the Lord will prevent that from happening. It says he will break the bow of Elam at the foremost of their might. He will prevent them from launching whatever they want to launch, wherever they want to launch it. And in my estimation, that could be dealing with them wanting to wipe Israel off the map and launch a nuclear weapon and the ability to do that. Then the next verse goes on to say that when this happens, it will be a disaster as the bow is broken at the foremost of Elam's might that there's a humanitarian crisis of sorts. It says that the indigenous population will be scattered throughout all the nations of the world. There'll be a refugee crisis that results from this, and it, it gives the impression that they have to flee immediately. So uh, that, again, would hint of nuclear uh, ramifications, and like I said at the beginning of talking of this prophecy, this is where the Bashar nuclear reactor is. This is a nuclear disaster waiting to happen. It sits on three tectonic plates. Iran is very seismic. It's right on the corner of the Persian Gulf, right there where, where the waters meet with Iran. And it is built by, started to be built by German parts, but then when the Shah was kicked out and the Islamic Revolution came in in 1979, they picked it up again in 1990 with Russian parts, Iranian parts before that between Germany and, but then they contracted Russia to complete the job. So it's got three different types of construction materials on it. It's a 40 year old nuclear reactor with a 30 year old cooling system and no one there equipped to handle a nuclear disaster like the one in Fukushima that happened when the tsunami hit that area. So it goes on to talk about this disaster that's going to hit this area because the Lord is going to cause that to happen as he destroys the leadership there because he's furious with the kings and the princes with Iran. And then it goes on and talks about that there'll be enemies at the time of Iran and that Iran has enemies presently, Israel, the Sunni Gulf states over there with Saudi Arabia and those countries. Um, the international community is concerned with Iran. So the, it's a very descriptive prophecy. I'm not going to get a lot more into it other than to say the uh, there's a couple reasons God's furious with Iran right now. One of them we just talked about, they want to destroy Israel. But also the other one is the second part of the prophecy talks about a spiritual awakening in Iran. That uh, and you see that going on in Israel right in Iran right now. You see that through dreams, visions, miracles, and healings, several million people have come to the Lord. They're disenchanted with Islam, and they're having dreams or visions or healings, and they are receiving Christ. And they're being severely persecuted for that. They're being imprisoned. About two years ago, the Ayatollah came out and said, "Close down all home churches." Uh, imprison all pastors and persecute all Christians. So this is another reason the Lord is furious with Iran as well. So I invite you to understand that something's about to give in Iran. The Lord's not happy with this nuclear deal that President Barack Obama's, you know, flailing yeah. in the air with great pride. Benjamin Netanyahu and the Lord of the God of the Bible, in my estimation, want that deal ripped up, and I think the Lord's going to take matters in his hands, and that's going to happen. 
So that's one can, prophecy right there. If I can, Bill, I'd like to just read this part uh, of a commentary uh, from the 1700s from, from Henry Morris in talking about breaking the bow of Alam. He says that their forces shall be disabled and rendered incapable of doing them uh, any service. He goes on to say that, uh, that behold, I will break the bow of Elam. This will ruin their artillery, their artillery and the chief of their might. He says, God often orders it so that which they trust in more, most often first fails them. It will prove to be the least of their help. The people will be dispersed and they will be dispersed throughout the four corners of the earth. And that's exactly what you just uh, stated in your breakdown. That's what the prophecy says. And in my nuclear show, you know, so I talk about the prophecy in the Now Prophecies book, and I give some, a whole chapter to it. But if the listener wants the full detail and understanding of the prophecy, you know, why it hasn't been fulfilled, we look at the past of Iran, we look at the prophecy in depth in the nuclear showdown of Iran book. Um, they can get all that research. But basically, this prophecy in all my research has not found fulfillment. And whenever a, a prophecy has not found fulfillment, we have to ask ourselves, when will it find fulfillment? And since we are in the end times, we've got different phases of end times prophecies that are coming. One is what could happen now. In other words, there's no significant conditions. As if we could wake up one morning and Iran's prophecy could be finding fulfillment with Elam's prophecy there. Um, then you have next prophecies that follow the now. In other words, when the now prophecies happen, they set the stage, they eliminate the preconditions that exist right now for the next prophecies to find fulfillment. And then after that, you have what are called the last prophecies. These are the ones that have significant preconditions. Uh, the stage has to be set. We have to go through the now stuff. we got to go through the next stuff. And then we're there. We're at the tribulation period. We've got seven years left. The Antichrist is on the scene. And all the pre-tribulation prophecies now and next in order are out of the way and the stage is entirely set so that's why from my perspective Joe when I talk about these prophecies I'm interested in all of them as a student of Bible prophecy and a teacher of Bible prophecy you know I need to know everything but at the same token what I want to know most and is the most concern is what could happen right now that would affect this generation my family my grandkids my friends etc um, so that's why I'm harping on the now prophecies. These are the ones to be paying attention to right now. You can't just talk about them anymore. You need to start preparing for them because it could happen at the present time. Absolutely. Okay, let's uh, let's move on. Uh, where to from here? Demand. Well, then, then what's going to happen is another prophecy in my estimation. And again, I'm going to caveat this. These may not happen in the order I'm going to say, but they're more than likely going to happen soon. And I think the details of the prophecy is very specific, and the conditions that once inhibited them from happening no longer inhibit them from happening. Now, let me give you an example of what I mean by that statement. When we just talked about Iran, and I'm going to talk about Damascus next in Syria, but when we talk about Iran, the preconditions for the Lord to be furious with Iran are out of the way now. The Lord is furious with Iran right now. But the Lord wasn't furious with Iran up until the Islamic takeover in 1979, and I'll give you an example. America was one of the first countries to favor the rebirth of the nations of Israel in the United Nations. We were one of the first ones with President Truman to approve it. The second nation to approve it was Iran. That was the time of the Shah. Now, the rebirth of the nation of Israel is a fulfillment of many Bible prophecies. In other words, it's part of God's plan. Anybody that's going to support that is not going to be 
the Lord's not going to be furious with them. <laughs> He's going to be quite pleased with them. So America was first, and Iran was second. But my, how things have changed since 1979. Now you've got this Islamic regime that is trying to spread its crazy Sharia law throughout the Middle East and wipe Israel off the map and kill all the Christians. So we're in a situation right now where the Lord is furious with Iran, therefore that precondition is out of the way. So when we talk about prophecies that have no more preconditions, that's the now stuff. That's the stuff we need to be thinking about. So the next one. If Iran gets struck, and there's a pretty good chance, although the prophecy in Jeremiah 49 doesn't tell us precisely who strikes Iran, but it does sound like someone strikes them because it says, I will, I will send the sword after them until they're consumed. And that generally references a military invasion. Um, Iran will not just, you know, play possum here. They're not, they're going to come, they're going to retaliate. Iran's a powerful army. And who do they have? They've got proxies throughout the Middle East. They've got Hezbollah, who they've been arming with missiles to the teeth. Hezbollah is estimated to have about 150,000 missiles right now, and all of them are very powerful. Most of them are, and most of them can hit any target in Israel. And they've got a bank of targets they want to hit. Lately, they were talking about hitting the nuclear site, Demona, and hitting uh, chemical factories where they make ammonia and things like that, which would have a nuclear-type effect uh, once they strike it. So they're clear on what they want to strike. Hezbollah is a proxy of Iran. Syria is a proxy of Iran. Iran is still fighting alongside Israel with Hezbollah, excuse me, fighting along Syria with Hezbollah to keep the Bashar Assad regime in power. And so if, if Iran gets struck, you can pretty much count on Hezbollah to start throwing missiles into Israel. Syria will probably start throwing missiles into Israel. They've already threatened to do that if Israel continues to attack Syria, which Israel struck Syria several times over the last few years because they don't want Hezbollah to get Iranian missiles. And you probably have Hamas get involved too because Hamas is, an, is also a proxy of Iran. So all of a sudden now you could have Israel engaged in a major war and Israel will lash out. And there's a prophecy in Isaiah 17 that talks about the destruction of Damascus. It says in verse 1 that uh, the burden against Damascus, Damascus will cease to be a city, it will be a ruinous heap. Someday Damascus, the oldest continuously inhabited city in recorded history, the capital of Syria, will no longer exist. And we find out in Isaiah 17 verse 9 that the desolation is caused by the children of Israel. In other words, the Israeli Defense Forces. So therefore, since 1948, there's an Israel. Presently, in 2016, there's an Israeli Defense Forces. And they can, they've already threatened to take out Damascus if, if Syria attacks Tel Aviv, which Syria has threatened to do in previous comments in the past. So we're looking at a reality here now. There's no preconditions here. There's an Israel, and there's an Israeli Defense Forces, and there's an animosity between Syria, which is capital is Damascus, and Israel. And then it says in verse 14, of Isaiah 17, the concluding verse, that one night you see Damascus, but in the morning it's no more. It says one night you see him, but in the morning he is no more. Me speaking of Damascus and the masculine pronoun. So, does that technology exist today? Could that be an out prophecy? Yes, Israel can take out a city in one day. <laughs> they can take out a city overnight. They've got the technologies to do it. So, that prophecy has no more conditions. The animosity is there. The Israeli Defense Forces exist. The ability to take out a city overnight. Therefore, that prophecy could happen at the present time. Yeah, and the you know. 
the destruction of Damascus, uh, Isaiah 17, uh, the burden of Damascus where, uh, in the text it says, the burden of Damascus, behold, Damascus is taken away from being a city, it shall be a ruinous heap. Many argue that, uh, it is turned into a ruinous heap. But you, you don't think that this is yet the, the fulfillment of this specific prophecy yet. You say that, uh, what the scriptures say, that it will be, uh, a more, it'll, it'll happen overnight. Right. Well, right now Damascus is in a really bad state of shambles. As a matter of fact, uh, Damascus is the second most populated city in Syria. Aleppo is number one. All of them are basically under sorts of sieges with what's going on in the mm-hmm. wars, the revolution. Um, Homs is the number three city, and Hama, I think, is the number four. You know, Homs right now is pretty much gone. I mean, it's desolated. Damascus is in trouble. But Homs is almost gone. I mean, it looks like Berlin after the bombs were killing it in World War II. Um, but the prophecy doesn't say there'll be desolation because of the children of ISIS or, of, you know, anybody else. It says that there'll be desolation because of the children of Israel. And in verse 14, when it says it happens overnight, it says, this is the portion of those who rob us and those who plunder us. So in other words, in self-defense... Because Israel is being robbed and plundered by Syria, they're going to take them out overnight. And that's how I would interpret that prophecy. Now, I invite your listeners to open their Bibles and get their commentaries, and they can read what they want to read and come up with their conclusions. Uh, Dr. Uh, Mark Hitchcock, very wonderful guy, good teacher, he believes this prophecy is fulfilled in seven. 20, uh, 732 B.C. by the Assyrian Empire, but I, I've got all kinds of reasons I have a problem with that. Isaiah talks about Assyria or Assyrians over 41 times in his 66 verses. doesn't mention them once in Isaiah 17, but he does tell us the desolation is caused by the children of Israel. So just because Damascus is kind of coming down brick by brick right now, um, it, it does not mean that prophecy is found fulfillment yet, because it seems to be the children of Israel that will be the perpetrator. Now, what on the other side though what's happened in Damascus well a lot of the people that aren't really you know I mean a lot of the bad people are in Damascus now the fighters, the terrorists and all that sort of stuff and a lot of the, if you want to call them good people have left because they had to I mean I don't want to say good necessarily you know I'm not trying to judge who's good and evil and Islam and all this stuff but there's a lot of the civilians who have left because they've had to and a lot of those civilians who have left have become Christians because in the Syrian refugee camps they are hearing the gospel which they probably would not have heard normally speaking inside of Syria inside of Damascus and they're out of kind of out of harm's way should Damascus get nuked out now nobody wants to be a refugee in a refugee camp but if one morning they look over their shoulder and they see a mushroom cloud over their hometown they're going to be glad they're not in there so you know I mean it's just that's how I look at that prophecy and I think it could happen real soon Absolutely, and you know the the writing is definitely on the wall uh, when it comes to Syria, specifically Damascus. Now, um, uh, kind of yeah, taken away from uh, the main uh, road we were on, Bashar al-Assad. Do you see him uh, maintaining his his status as president, or do you see him being taken out like the other? Uh, dictators that have been in the Middle East, like Saddam Hussein, Muammar Gaddafi, um, and other nations that have have fell. 
Well, two of the leaders who are still in place since the Arab Spring of 2011 through the current revolution and that's been going on in Syria since that time, two of the leaders that are still in place are Bashar al-Assad and King Abdullah II of Jordan. Um, both of those guys could be gone pretty soon. Um, King Abdullah II of Jordan is very concerned about his longevity because, and that's a whole other prophecy, a now prophecy in, in uh, toppling of Jordan, and trembling and toppling of Jordan, I call it in the chapter. But Bashar al-Assad is another question. Um, you know, basically Russia went in there, now they, they pulled out for politically expedient reasons temporarily, um, but they went in there and propped up the Bashar al-Assad regime. They were there helping Iran and Hezbollah and Bashar al-Assad to stay in power. And the emphasis on what was going to be these peace talks that between all the parties of the Syrian revolution, and there's a whole bunch of different parties, it's not just two enemies fighting each other, um, was going to be that Bashar al-Assad was not going to be able to stay in power. They're going to find a new leader. But you know, these, these peace talks aren't going anywhere at this point in time. Uh, things are worsening over there. Um, it's hard to say whether it will stay in power or not, but there's a pretty good chance he will stay in power. Um, I, I, I just don't know. But regardless of whether he's in power or not, we do have prophecies dealing with Syria. One of them is the destruction of Damascus. Another one is their involvement in Psalm 83. Um, they're involved in a coalition of ten members in an ancient psalm that talks about an Arab confederacy, and inside of them is Assyria, which at the time it was written 3,000 years ago, comprised parts of Syria and parts of Iraq, northern Syria and northern Iraq. Later, all of Syria was taken over by the Assyrian Empire around uh, 720, 732 B.C. So, you know, basically they're in prophecies. So we, we say, okay, well, whoever's in charge, Bashar al-Assad, ISIS, who knows who's going to take over the and rule that area. Uh, they're involved in biblical prophecies, and those prophecies are anti-Israel. And they come against Israel in Psalm 83 to destroy the nation of Israel that the name of Israel can be remembered no more, along with an Arab confederacy of the, the countries that share common borders with Israel, inside of which have terrorist populations now. So basically, I don't, I don't know whether Bashar al-Assad will stay in power indefinitely or how much longer, but regardless... Syria is not going to have a turnabout and start blessing Israel and become Israel's friend. Israel comes to destroy it. Syria comes to destroy Israel in Bible prophecy, and they get they get taken up by the Israeli defense forces. Like it says, there's desolation caused by the children of Israel. Very interesting. Um, the Psalm 83, the final Arab-Israeli war. Is this a good place to get into this, Bill? Well, that's one of the bigger now prophecies. You know, I said, all these prophecies are big deals. And, you know, right now your listener might be going, well, okay, Iran's in the Middle East. Syria's in the Middle East. He's talking about a Psalm 83 war. Jordan's in the Middle East. The Arab countries with terrorist populations are all in the Middle East. And they could be saying, you know, is dinner ready? Because what's this got to do with me? I live in America. Well, I'm telling you, listener, <laughs> you know, have your dinner. But the bottom line is this. End times Bible prophecies are globally impacting. They are not going to confine themselves to the Middle East. They will affect everyone throughout the world. They will affect America. And, and we have to be on the right side of God's plan. And God's plan is 
we need to be blessing Israel if we want to continue to be blessed as a country. And we are turning our backs on Israel right now. So Psalm 83 is one of the bigger deals. Destroying Iran, disaster in Iran, that's a big deal. Damascus going down, that's a, that is a huge deal. The oldest continuously inhabited city. Uh, the stuff that's going on in Syria right now with all the terrorism and, and the wars and the revolution, it's dominating a lot of the news. I mean, it's, it's affecting people. And ultimately, when these things start to happen, they will affect us actually physically as well with the, our economies and things like that. But Psalm 83 is bigger. Psalm 83 is a final attempt by a, a, a confederacy, which would include Lebanon, and of course you've got Hezbollah up there, Syria, Iraq, you got ISIS in there, Jordan, uh, Egypt, we believe Egypt could be in this prophecy, Saudi Arabia, uh, the Hamas over there in ancient Felicia, the Palestinians are actually one of the lead members, uh, Tents of Edom it's called in the prophecy. Um, you know, you've got all these terrorist populations all inside of there now, and they're going to come against Israel collectively with the mindset that they want to destroy the nation of Israel, that the name of Israel can be remembered no more. And the reason for that, it says in Psalm 83, verse 12, they want to take possession of the pastors of God. In other words, they, they want another state of Palestine, if it's for our time, and I believe it is. We've seen them as collectively as a group come against Israel in various wars, but it wasn't the conclusion of the prophecy when you understand the details of the prophecy. However, that could find its final fulfillment very soon. And once that happens, then Israel can dwell securely without walls, bars, nor gates. They could be expand territorially. They're not no longer worried about the threats of the Arab neighbors around them who don't even recognize their right to exist as a Jewish state. And that type of Israel is Israel that we seem to see pictured in Ezekiel 38, which I talked about in the first hour, which is when Russia comes against Israel with its consortia of Ezekiel 38 enemies, uh, Iran, Turkey, Libya, etc., because Israel is going securely in the midst of the land without walls, bars, nor gates, which they cannot do right now. You know, most Israelis right now, they're building fences even today, walls around southern parts of Israel and stuff like that. Most Israelis have gas masks. Most Israelis know where their nearest bomb shelter is, and they've got 15 seconds to three minutes tops, depending on where they live, to get to that bomb shelter. Israelis have seen thousands of missiles thrown at them through Hamas. Police cars drive around in Jerusalem with their lights going to let the people know that there's police uh, protection nearby. Now, if we see police cars driving around in our city with their lights on, we think someone's perpetrating a crime and we're trying to duck and cover and get out of the way. That's actually a, a security mechanism over there in Israel. So I just say that to let you know, some people believe Israel is already dwelling securely and Ezekiel 38 could happen now. I just don't agree with that. Okay. In America and all this, you know, we're talking about... Uh, a time where Israel will be able to dwell safely in the land after a few of these now prophecies have come to fruition. Uh, they feel safe. We have America. We have the decline of America. And you also have, uh, at the very end of your book, the last chapter, chapter 17, preparing spiritually for the now prophecies, as well in the fifth chapter, spiritual showdowns are happening now. Yeah, and there's so much in the book, it's so hard to cover it all in the show, but we should talk about America in this remaining you know, 20, 30 minutes that, that we've got together here. 
Well, well, let's do that. Let's talk about the uh, political state, and then and we just spend a few brief minutes on that, and then flip to the spiritual side. We see, you know, what's going on with the uh, GOP, the the Donald Trump anti-establishment uh, presidential front runner versus the uh, same party he's running in, the Republican Party, the GOP establishment, trying to push him out and take the nomination away from him. We know that the uh, there's no spirit or there's no political solution to a spiritual problem, and we know we have a spiritual problem here in America. But for the political side of this, do you see a uh, potential for civil conflict? We know the racial war and tensions have been heating up here in America. Do you see if the nomination is taken away from Donald Trump or some other event happens, uh, the potential for a conflict within America? for us to neuter, ourse- neuter ourselves from being a geopolitical powerhouse? Yes, unfortunately, Joe, I do. Um, and whether it's an internal civil conflict or whatever the case may be, a nation that is under judgment slash leading toward destruction, and we've seen this happen through nations and empires in the past, when they've done what we've done to God, kicked them as far away as we have, we've seen their demise. And so whether or not that's civil unrest or financial collapse or, you know, solar flares that wipe out the electronic grids, I don't know. But when I know this, when the Lord wants to take out a country, he's got, it'll happen. And it may be ways we can't even imagine. We saw what happened with Egypt 3,500 years ago with the plagues. Out of nowhere, these things came and just took the country pretty much, just took the number one country in the world and just shocked it and, and almost eliminated it. It certainly took out its armies and, and its pharaoh, etc. So, yeah, I'm concerned. I'm really concerned because this is where, you know, all of our families and all of our stuff is, right? Not that we're materialistic mm-hmm. speaking, but, you know, this is the, the heart of the matter that's near and dear to your audience that are listening. I imagine most of them are national audience. So, um, yeah, any, anything could happen. And there's this big emphasis on this presidential election, and rightfully so. Uh, but the point is, what we have to ask ourselves is, do we as a country have a repentance coming, a revival of sorts, or something where we could have a repeat of the historic episode, the biblical episode of Nineveh at the time of Jonah, when Nineveh was told by Jonah that you got 40 days until you're going to be destroyed, and Nineveh took that, the king of Nineveh took that to heart and he issued a national proclamation and they, he prayed and then the uh, Syrian Empire they prayed, in Nineveh they prayed and the Lord relented at least for a hundred years ultimately it was destroyed but it relented from that 40 day pledge to destroy because they repented and got right with God. So we have to ask ourselves is America about to do that? Because if we're not, there's some other things we really need to look at. Um, there's other uh, policies that are biblical policies that, that will affect a country that is not going to do that, and they're not good. Now, let me give you an example. Um, I, I, one of the things about the Now Prophecies book is I try to make it easily understandable, reader-friendly. I format it in a way where pretty much anyone can read it and walk away with some very important information. And so, give you an example. I open, I have three chapters devoted to America in this Now Prophecies book. And I open chapter six with a story 
about we're having dinner. A friend of mine, Pastor Dave Barton, and I. Uh, he's the my son's father-in-law, and we're having dinner. And we have a 12-year-old boy having dinner with us who's a friend of Dave Barton's family. He's kind of watching him for the, the mom. And Dave Barton and I are going to go to see a movie after dinner. And this boy, his name's Brent, he goes, Hey, Bill, where do you like to sit when you go to a movie? And I said, Well, Brent, I like to sit at the back of the theater because I don't want the screens to be too big for me, you know, so I can get a better look at the, the movie. And it was an innocent question. And then he said to me, my dad and I always sit in the back, real alarmingly. And the innocence of his question started to disappear. And I said, well, Brent, why is that? He goes, because we don't want to get shot from behind. And, you know, I, I started talking to Dave Barton right then. I said, Dave, you know, this would not have happened in our generation. There would be no 12-year-old worried about being shot from behind during the days of Donna Reed and Father Knows Best. I mean, people didn't even lock their houses back then. But this is a concern for the younger generation. You know, half of the millennials believe the chance for the American dream is already gone for them in a recent yep. survey. So we have to ask ourselves, where, how far has this country fallen and what evidences do we have? And if that's the case, are we in store for judgment slash destruction? And that's what I cover into the book, and I can give you the reasons and more stories as to why Americans really really need to get right with God and really need to be concerned about what the, the fate of this country uh, if I could Bill something that's not in your book as uh, this is an, a newer developing story uh, we're hearing information that there are going to be uh, we saw what, what ISIS did to the Baal temple in Palmyra Syria but now we hear that the UN and, and UNESCO are going to create and implant in New York, in London, in L.A., in hundreds of cities around the world, these new uh, temples to Baal, to Baal, the ancient uh, Canaanite deity. What, what do you have to say about that? How, how, how worrisome are you about uh, the direction of the... I mean, why would a country do this? Well, at the risk of sounding a little bit ignorant, I'm not extremely familiar with that you know, current news event that you're talking about there or those plans. But I do know that that would not bode well for any country or nation that does that. We're, we're racing toward this marquee event we talked about in the first hour where God's going to officially notify the world that he's God. You know, he's, he's allowed the nations to run amok uh, while the Jews were out in the nations of the world and the nations all said, why should we pay attention to your God? He can't even keep you in your own homeland. And in essence, they were profaning the name of God because of their behavior out in the nations of the world. And so the nations pretty much decided to do whatever they want to do. And the reason God's got to make his holy name known again in the midst of his people Israel is because it's been vastly overlooked, vastly forgotten. And it's the name above all names to which all people must be saved. And God loves everybody and wants them to be saved. He's about to let the world know he's God. He's not gonna, it's, he's gonna overshadow Allah. He's gonna, he's gonna topple all the false gods. We're told in Zephaniah 2, 10 and 11, a day is coming where the Lord will vanquish all gods. And everyone from all the nations will worship him. And that, of course, that'll happen in the most millennial kingdom of Christ. But so we're coming to a point in time now where Anybody that is going to stand in the way of God demonstrating he's God 
is going to be in trouble. And if you're going to start putting false gods up all over the place, they're destined to be toppled and destroyed because God is now in the process of elevating himself and dethroning everybody, every, every other false god. And he's going to do this before the Antichrist comes on the scene, in my estimation, because he wants the world to know he's God, and he doesn't want to do it after the Antichrist has already duped everybody with deception and got them buying into the Mark of the Beast campaign, through which it's guaranteed torment and the wrath of God to be poured on those people that take the Mark of the Beast. He's not going to slap his forehead after that point in time and say, Oy vey, I wish I would let everybody know I was God before the Antichrist duped them. <laughs> now, so we're getting to a point now where God is about to show up and make a big deal about who he is. And that's a prophecy with all this detail that's about to happen. And the now prophecies are going to get taken care of and fulfilled, in my estimation, soon. And then that prophecy, the big deal, is going to just overtake the world. And then God's going to say, see, that, earth, that supernatural defeat of the most massive coalition in history that no one could have imagined stopping, but me, I did it supernaturally, that's me, I'm God. I'm, that's the God of the Bible who did that and said he was going to do that over 2,600 years ago. It's going to happen exactly like he said it's going to happen, and it's coming soon. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. And just so uh, you are familiar, um, this story from InfoWars yesterday, it says a question, will a gateway be opened when the arch from the Temple of Baal is reconstructed in Times Square? Part of the Temple of Baal that stood in Palmyra, Syria, is to be reconstructed in Times Square and also in London. And their uh, UNESCO and the UN is behind this, but they're setting up uh, in cities across the world the entrance arcway or uh, the arch entranceway to the Temple of, of Baal in Times Square in London and in many other cities across the world. And um, we all know Baal is the ancient. Uh, you know, God, Babylonian God, and it's just in your face evil, in my opinion. And you know, we talk about a falling away in the in the church, the apostasy. Um, but this is is in the secular world. Um, and, and I guess the question I have is just why now? And that answer would have to be in the Bible and what you said. Um, these people are setting up. You know, these satanic elite are setting up their shrines and temples, trying to. Uh, let the masses know who's in charge, who the God of this world is. But the Lord in heaven will be victorious as he will crumble these, as he says he will. All, um, all of these, uh, idol, idols and idolatrous places where these idols have been set up. Yeah, we're, here, we're heading for a real spiritual showdown, ultimately, yeah. you know, between God and Satan. Satan knows, according to Second Thessalonians 2, there's going to come a time on the timeline where he's, he's going to be unrestricted to deceive humanity through all signs and lying wonders. He knows that there's going to be, there's something restraining that right now, but when that restraint is commanded to depart, he's going to be able to come out with his program. And his program is, is at that point in time, he's not going to go, when the restraints removed, he's not going to go, oh boy, what do we do now? We've got a clean, free slate here to do whatever we want. No, he's already been planning this out for centuries. He, he's just waiting for the moment to come out and fool everybody and bring forward his lawless one, the Antichrist. And so he knows that moment has got to be coming really soon. He knows prophecies 
probably better than most anybody. I mean, he follows this stuff. Mm-hmm. And he knows the now prophecies, trust me. And he knows how important Israel is, even though the church doesn't get it predominantly. So, you know, when you start seeing E.T. deception, merry apparitions with the Catholic Church, false gods with Baal coming up all over the place, uh, a lot of the media industry focusing all the, even the cartoons and stuff on the, you know, aliens and all this stuff. You know, I'm not saying I know what is specifically his plan of deception is going to be, but all of these things that lead you astray into thinking that there's another truth to be known besides the God of the Bible, Jesus Christ, I am the way, the truth, and the life, he says in John 14, 6. All those things that are counter to that, you're probably going to see more and more of that stuff starting to position itself because Satan knows that hour, that time is getting really close. And the minute he can come out with his full show and the restraint's gone, he's going to do it. It's going to happen instantly. So, you know, I'm not surprised to hear that this stuff's going on, and that's why God's going to make his his showdown real soon. I, I'm God. A bunch of stuff's going to be coming your way. This is kind of how I would paraphrase it, you know. He's going to show he's yeah. God, and all the stuff that's going to be coming, and people have to choose between that and him. And ultimately, it's going to narrow down to two choices. You know, there's going to be Christ or the Antichrist. After the rapture of the church, which I believe is a now prophecy, when Jesus comes to take his bride, could happen at any given moment. I call it the vanishing of the Christians in the, in the book. After that, the world will start to realize, hey, we didn't evolve. People are not going to be asking if there is a God. They're going to be having to choose between them. And it will narrow it down, out, down to four religions at that time. One will be, there'll still be Christianity going on, but most of those people will be getting killed. Um, then there'll be Judaism, because the Jews are going to want to build their temple. And especially after Ezekiel 38, they're going to be feeling more propelled to do that and compelled to do that. You're going to have a harlot world religion initially in Revelation 17, mankind's first jeopardy of the double jeopardy of religion in the end times. Then when the harlot world religion overextends its usefulness, it will be destroyed by the ten kings in Revelation 17, 16, at which point the Antichrist comes on the scene. So ultimately the Judaism will go away as the Antichrist tries to commit genocide. The harlot world religion will be decimated, and you're going to have Christ and Antichrist as the whole showdown at the end. And nobody's going to be wondering when all the sign, lying signs and wonders are going on and all the supernatural stuff's happening. Gee, I wonder if there's a God. No, it's 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 going to come to a point where everything gets real spiritual, and I think that point is coming real soon. Uh, we have about eight minutes left in this hour, Bill, and if we could, I want to jump to page 57 of your book, Identifying a Lesser America in Bible Prophecy. Could you touch on this a little bit? Yeah, the Lesser American Bible Prophecy, I believe we find ourselves in Ezekiel 38, 13. We talked about this earlier, where we are the with the merchants of Tarshish and their young lions. There's these four protesters that are not fighting against Israel, they're not fighting with Israel, but they're enlisted in the prophecy. And mainly all they're doing, seem to be doing, is protesting and echoing their concerns that why are you coming to invade Israel, Russia, with your bands? And basically you have Sheba, Dedan, the merchants of Tarshish, and their young lions. Sheba would be we believe Yemen and maybe some of the Gulf Arab states. Dedan would be Saudi Arabia. Uh, there's good arguments for why the merchants of Tarshish would be the UK and the young lions that came out from them would include America. Inside of the book, I devote a whole chapter to Is Ezekiel, Is America, and Ezekiel 38. 
It's one of those three chapters about America. So inside of the book, now Prophecy's book, I present the archaeological, the biblical, the geopolitical assortment of reasons why we are a lesser nation and why we need to be concerned. Um, America has crossed every dangerous biblical boundary when we look historically in the past that has caused the 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 demise or the destruction of an, of an empire. Um, we've crossed the sexual perversion boundaries. You know, Sodom and Gomorrah yeah. was des destroyed in 2000 BC. Idol worship, which led to child sacrifice by the northern kingdom of Israel, they, they were destroyed in 722 BC by the kingdom of Assyria. Wickedness and moral decadence, which was characterized the Assyrian Empire, they were destroyed in 612 BC. Anti-Semitism, which caused Pharaoh and his armies their lives 3,500 years ago, coming against Israel. I point out all the legal Supreme Court cases that we talk about where we kicked God out of the schools and prayer and Bible reading in the 1960s and we legalized abortions in the 1970s and and then we got to go through a whole list of things to ultimately to where we get a point right now where the Supreme Court in June 26 of 2015 approved same-sex marriage. You know, ultimately it gets to the final straw and that's where we're at right now as a country. And so if we're at that stage right now as a country, are we going to turn it around? Are we going to have a Nineveh moment? Because if we're not, then your listeners need to be prepared for two things. Jeremiah 7.16 and Hosea 4 6. And I'm going to read those verses as we start to close out. Um, Jeremiah 7 16 says this, and let me preface it real quickly. At the time Jeremiah wrote this, the southern kingdom of Judah was uh, idol worshiping and disobeying God, and they were not going to have a Nineveh moment. They were not going to repent like Assyria did uh, with the king of Nineveh at the time of Jonah. And so what God said to Jeremiah, he said this. Therefore do not pray for this people, nor lift up a cry or prayer for them, nor make intercession to me, for I will not hear you. Do not see what they do not see what they do in the cities of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem. This is scathing. This is the Lord saying to Jeremiah on behalf of the southern kingdom of Judah. Don't even pray for them to change anymore. They're not gonna. He, Lord knew they would not change. He knows the end from the beginning. So he said to Jeremiah, Don't waste your time praying for them. And then what happened is he told Jeremiah you start getting them ready to go into Babylonian captivity for 70 years. That you start doing, Jeremiah. So that became their now prophecy in Jeremiah chapter 25. Get ready to go into captivity. Pay attention. The Lord doesn't even want me to pray for you anymore. That is a dangerous situation. Is America at that threshold? Because if we are, then you got to start thinking about Hosea 4.6. Now Hosea... Uh, about a century prior was was prophesying to the northern kingdom along with Isaiah and Amos and some other prophets. The northern kingdom of Israel who was destroyed in 722 B.C. by the Assyrians. And Hosea was saying to them, because they had their whole problems with what was going on too, child sacrifice and things like that. Hosea said to them, I'm just going to speak to all of you in the land of the northern kingdom. I'm talking to every one of you, whether you believe in God or not. He says in Hosea 4, toward the end of it, he says, those who lack understanding will be trampled. But then he says in Hosea 4, 6, My people perish, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. So here's what we have to think about in this country right now. If we are not going to have a repentant moment where we invite God back into our country, and we're not going to have an end of a moment, 
and we continue to pray for this country and at, at some point the Lord says I've got deaf ears now because this country's not going to turn it around I'm not saying we're there but I'm saying I'm concerned we're getting close if we're not there already then we have to start thinking okay the people of God who have faith need to know what's about to happen they need to know that this country's going to get experience judgment and they don't want to perish because they're not aware, not aware of that so in other words in Hosea's time the memo was given, the message was given, the people had the information the northern kingdom was going to be destroyed, and if they did not take heed to that information, they would perish for lack of knowledge. Not that the knowledge wasn't available to them, but the knowledge was not being uh, applied by them or used by them. So this is my concern right now. If we're near that, then now is the time to get people prepared because they don't want to perish for lack of knowledge. And the knowledge they need to be preparing for is the prophecies that could affect them at the present time. Wow. Um, a whole lot there that you said, Bill, that's so very important. We're coming up on the end of the hour, and, and we can let you go, and, and we can have you back on soon. Um, where are you going to be at? Any radio shows, upcoming conferences, appearances that you want to... Uh, let people know where they can find you? Uh, yes. We've got a couple big conferences coming up in June with Prophecy in the News. And you can go to prophecyinthenews.com and get information on that. There'll be like 20 speakers there. That's between June something, Father's Day weekend. I think it's 15th through the 17th. And then um, the month following, and that's in Pikes Peak, Colorado. we got another one in Pikes Peak, Colorado with Prophecy Watchers with Gary Stearman. Now, that one is sold out, but they have live streaming available. You can go to prophecywatchers.com on that one. Meanwhile, I've got radio shows and TV shows coming up that I'm doing. Uh, we try to keep those posted at prophecydepot.com under upcoming events. Yeah, very and, bottom of the page, everybody. prophecydepotministries.net at the very bottom of the page, upcoming events. You can yeah, find and you can the also get there, with, there. You can get there with prophecydepot.com also. Uh, okay. It points to the same thing. And, uh, yes, I'll be in Oklahoma City teaching at the Chisholm Creek Baptist Church. My next speaking engagement is on uh, Oklahoma City on the 20th of this month. Wow. In case you're in Oklahoma City, love to see you. That's <laughs> on my website also. Bill, it's been great having you on. Again, Bill's new book, The Now Prophecies. Go to his website, prophecydepotministries.net, prophecydepot.com. Get his book and DVD. Thank you so much for joining us tonight, Bill. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Joe, for having me. Look forward to having you again, and you be safe in your travels, and, and God bless you, and, and thank you very much. Folks, we'll be right back after these short messages. Stay with us for a third and final hour. This is the Global Star Radio Network. Town or its people the same way ever again. Stained by Blood, a murder investigation based upon a true story by private investigator Douglas J. Hagman. Using the character Mark Stiles, Hagman takes you on a journey behind the scenes where the homicide becomes a secondary to an underworld of satanic ritual abuse, child abduction, and even mind-controlled experimentation. A world dismissed as conspiracy by those who want to keep its secrets hidden, exposing the dangers 
Abuser's denials and deceptions. For five years, a brutal killer remained on the loose, free to kill again. As Mark struggles to navigate the maze of bizarre twists and untangle a web of deeply hidden secrets kept by some of the most powerful and influential people in his community and beyond, you may never look at your city, town, or its people the same way ever again. Stained by Blood. Order your copy of this engaging novel today at HagmanandHagman.com and click on the link. Stained by Blood. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to our third and final hour of this Thursday edition of the Hagman and Hagman Report. Excuse me. If you joined us late, <clears throat> I'm flying solo tonight, as my father has the night off. And we were joined by Bill Salas, author of The Now Prophecies, his latest book DVD uh, in tandem series to come out. He's the author of Israelistine, The Psalm 83 War, uh, The Prophecies of Elam, The Nuclear Showdown, in Iran, and the Now Prophecies, his latest work. Folks, check out his website, prophecydepotministries.net and prophecydepot.com. Again, that was Bill Solis that joined us for the first two hours. What we're going to do this hour is we're going to cover some news, and we're going to take some phone calls. So if you want to call in, the number is 844-769-2944. That's 844-769-2944. 2944. We're going to take uh, a few calls as we go through news and relevant headlines this last hour. Um, I want to start here. I thought this was rather interesting. Uh, dealing with the Panama Papers. We've been talking about the Panama Papers this week. And if you're like me, you have a, a basic idea of what, what these are. Uh, but there's still a lot of questions about what these are, where they came from, and why are they being released now. <laughs> Excuse me. Some questions have come out as to, you know, why a lot of American executives and political leaders are not listed in the Panama Papers. We've had the president uh, or the prime minister of Iceland resign over uh, revelations of, you know, financial, uh, I don't want to say crimes, but misleading financial information that has had him step down. But now... A new revelation as Panama Papers reveal Clinton's Kremlin connection. This article from The Observer goes on to say that the revelations of the so-called Panama Papers that are roiling the world's political and financial elites this week include important facts about Team Clinton. This unprecedented trove of documents from a shady Panama law firm that arranged tax havens and perhaps money laundering for the globe's super-rich includes juicy insights into how Russia, Russia's elite hide its ill-gotten wealth. Among the lost in many revelations is the fact that Russia's biggest banks use the Podesta Group as its lobbyist in Washington, D.C. Though hardly a household name, this firm is well-known inside the Beltway. 
not least because its CEO is Tony Podesta, one of the best connected Democratic um, Democrats in the country. He founded the firm in 1998 with his brother, John, formerly Chief of Staff to President Bill Clinton, then Counselor to President Barack Obama. Mr. Podesta is the very definition of a Democratic insider. Outsiders engage the Podestas and their well-connected lobbying firm to improve their image and gain access to Democratic bigwigs, which is exactly um, what one of Russia's biggest financial institutions did this spring. As reported at the end of March, the Podesta Group registered with the U.S. government as a lobbyist for uh, Spear Bank, as required by law, naming three Podesta Group staffers, um, the three that they name is Tony Podesta, Stephen Radmaker, and David Adams, the last two former assistant secretaries of state. It should be noted that Tony Podesta is a big money bundler for the Hillary Clinton presidential campaign, while his brother John is the chairman of that campaign, the chief architect of her plans to take the White House this November. But this ties back into Clinton and the Russian elites and banking connections and uh, another interesting thing to note is the uh, continued tension between Russia, the US and NATO well a lot of these uh, a lot of what is in the Panama paper release here uh, is looking like it is an anti-Putin the George Soros backed anti-Putin initiative and uh, what they're looking at here are connections between uh, John and Tony Podesta, the Panama Papers, Hillary Clinton, and the lobbying and the amount of influence that lobbying from the Russian Kremlin has bought them through the Clinton Foundation and the Clintons themselves. Also, in other news, as we were talking with Bill Salas, this is one of the stories that I, I mentioned Migrants ushered in from Muslim countries double those from Europe here in America. The United States issues twice as many green cards to uh, immigrants from Muslim-majority countries than from Europe, adding to a Middle Eastern migrant population in the country that is one of the fastest-growing demographics. From 2009 to 2013, the U.S. issued 68, or I'm sorry, 680,000 green cards to migrants from Muslim countries more than twice the approximately 270,000 green cards issued to migrants from Europe country, European countries. Green card entitles migrants to legal permanent residency in the country and work authorization, federal benefits, and the chance to apply for citizenship. <coughs> Excuse me. The numbers are illustrated in the chart here on this website, The Daily Caller, by uh, the Senate Subcommittee on Immigration and National Interest obtained by the Daily Caller News Foundation. If laws are not changed, the U.S. is expected to issue another 680,000 green cards in the following five-year period. The U.S. admits more than double the number of immigrants from Muslim nations than from the European Union. That is um, pretty uh, interesting news. Another interesting piece of news, you know, Bill Clinton is going to be in our area tomorrow. He'll be speaking in our city here about 10, 15, 10.30 tomorrow morning. We were thinking about going to, to cover that, um, but I don't think we'll be able to do that. 
But he made a statement today. Bill Clinton said, the world is coming apart right now. And this article is from the American Mirror. Bill Clinton found another roundabout way to make a dig at President Obama. Today, during an appearance in Philadelphia, Clinton said, unlike when I became president, a lot of things are coming apart around the world. And the reason I, I point this out is because um, he's right. I mean, he's right. He goes on to say, literally, from the... Uh, he goes just on, I won't even quote or read from this article. Basically, he goes on to say from when he took office till now and from when Obama took office till now, the differences in the nation are uh, so apparent that we are on the brink of chaos. And he obviously goes on to say, you know, unless you elect his wife, then things are going to continue to get worse, which we know is just um, hyperbole for him as he is... Uh, you know, looking to be the first presidential first lady in the White House. On a more serious note, and then we're going to go to calls. Again, if you want to call in, the number is 844-769-2944. That's 844-769-2944. Excuse me. Still trying to get over a cold here. In Syria, Aleppo district shelled with chemical gas. Local journalists tell uh, RT in a neighborhood in the Syrian city of Aleppo which is held by Kurdish uh, YPG militants has been shelled with chemical agents from a territory held by Islamist and FSA factions a local journalist on the ground has told RT the attack was carried out between 11.30 and 12 local time the gas was uh, the gas that was used in the attack caused choking and uh, other side effects among those infected. The incidents indicate that the poisonous substances were used in the attack, uh, a journalist reports. He adds that 23 people were killed and over 100 injured in Thursday's attacks. Video filmed by the journalist shows yellow gas rising over the Shadik Mossadegh neighborhood uh, in Aleppo. Now, folks, you can go to RT. Uh, they go on to say the Kurdish Red Crescent has confirmed reports alleging that chemical weapons attack did take place. This is a, a serious matter <coughs> Excuse me, of international conflict that needs to be uh, has a, needs to have a hard look taken at it. We do have a couple of callers on the on the line, and we're going to go to them now. We're going to start with Jewel in Tennessee. Jewel, you're live on the Hagman and Hagman Report. Hey, Joe. How, can you hear me okay? I can hear you loud and clear. Okie dokie. Um, I have three things. Um, one thing, uh, <laughs> I don't know if you remember this, but about a month ago, Bill Clinton, I don't know which news channel it was on because it, I only saw it one time and then it went away, but he said Miss Hitlery has been getting messages from Eleanor Roosevelt yeah, so, yeah. This, yeah, so this was did a. You hear that? Yeah, this actually is a. As a, you can find this on YouTube if you do a search on Hillary Clinton channels Eleanor Roosevelt. It was a speech he gave a few years ago, if I remember correctly, where he talks okay. about his wife summoning the spirit of Eleanor Roosevelt to help with White House decorating, as well as yeah. summoning other spirits uh, for other guidance. And, right. and yes, so, uh, uh, she when, is a uh, witch. 
Yeah, so when Gary Ka, you know, when he says that she used to regularly practice, you know, um, summing up spirits, Ouija board, um, she probably did speak with a spirit, but um, was a familiar spirit, and people still want Correct. to you know, vote for that. Um, the other thing, the other night or last week, you guys really passed in flying colors, not like you need my approval. But you had all women except for the last caller, and you guys really, you really aced it. You you really get God's approval. <laughs> you handled it wonderfully. Well, Jewel, it's and, interesting. Um, you know, um, we started our open line Wednesdays, uh, not this last Wednesday, but the week before, and the majority of callers were women. And then yesterday we had you know, a majority of callers men. were men. Yeah, it was very, uh, for- very, very interesting. <laughs> right. And um, I had told you about my uh, my sister getting these some kind of stuff going through her phone, and, and her totally confused. She thought she was losing her mind. So I'm like, oh, I'll call her back again. And uh, this time we prayed. Like we didn't think of that the first time because she was too upset. So I can't. I just can't. So we prayed. I prayed. Whatever. And um, we got done, and she said she sat there, and she said she felt like a warm hand go right through her head, and everything was completely clear, completely clear. Praise God for the blood of Jesus. Amen. Really, this is true. So that is a praise report. And um, the other is, is what does... Um, this, a guy was talking about a little while ago. I didn't get to hear all of it, but um, February, uh, I had a I had a dream, and in this dream, I was in a very small church, and um, I had a white sheet tied around me. It tied around my shoulders. I thought, well, am I dead or what? I I don't know. <laughs> uh, and um, there was these big windows in the church like I said it was a small church and I looked across and it was it was dark out but I could see um, flames and I could see smoke and I saw a missile and I saw foreign troops and I could not tell I knew they were like Japanese or I'm sorry Chinese or Korean which one I couldn't tell what country they were in I could not tell but um, uh, someone just kept telling me to come over and enjoy the wedding cake. <laughs> In- interesting. <laughs> well, the 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 love, you know, the supper the, of the you know the groom, mm-hmm. you know, the bride of Christ. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think it, you know, it sounds <laughs> something like with that with that. Uh, what was his name now? Bill? Bill Salas. Yeah, what he was speaking of. I don't know, people can pray about it. Like I said, I didn't know what country they were in, but it was it was very real. But anyway, I appreciate you guys. And again, I'm sure the Lord appreciates what an awesome job you guys... You're not, like I said, you don't need my approval, but... 
when I heard the the, the list last week, you know, Joyce, this one, Jared, Jewel, you know, Janice, I'm like, oh, the Lord's going to test them tonight. <laughs> <laughs> and you guys did excellent. No, but anyway, thank you praise so be much. to God. Praise be to the blood of Jesus. And thank you, Lord God, for your blood. And um, we still just come against those calls, those channeling calls to Christian people. God bless you, Joe. God bless you too, Jewel. And thanks for right, calling. Bye-bye. You have a good night. All right, we're going to go to Christopher in California next. Christopher, you're live on the Hagman and Hagman Report. Hi, Doug. Thank you for the intro. Uh, so glad to be uh, on your radio station at this moment. And I was just reflecting on what someone had just said and, uh, and really uh, quite the time to be preparing. And I'm currently a college student, so I'm, you know, I'm at the poverty line basically. Uh, but thankfully, my parents are very supportive and the American dream, like you had said, uh, many people in my generation, they're not even sure what is going to come about. Uh, but I was just, uh, I've been wanting to tell you, uh, like your audience for a while, a couple of things. One, preppers. I know a lot of people out there looking on free Craigslist. Just like, there's so much out there and I know God uses that to, not only be of service, but to spread the gospel to people that obviously may or may know or may not know Christ. And currently, uh, my focus is on environmental science and resource management with a minor in economics. And once I was accepted into the school system, I, you know, was hearing on your uh, report, which is, you know, like I put you in my source pages. I'll, put, I'll say that much, uh, and I'll go into detail on one other specific on that. Uh, yeah, I just uh, left there, and it's like we're studying evolution. I know you mentioned evolution earlier in the show, and no one, no one will even uh, refute or argue, like have a counter argument against it. And everyone in the college system, like I'm 26 years old, most are between the ages of, I would say, 18 and. 20, you know, younger than I am. And it seems like everyone's silent. Everyone just takes everyone's word for it. They won't actually go out and do the research. And yeah. uh, with that much said, the uh, inf- information that I have uh, came across was in the 2013 uh, Presidential Climate Action Plan. I think it was in June 2013. Uh, yeah. I referenced page 21 of there, and it talks about the Paris climate talks. Um, and it was from 2013. It was saying in 2015 there will be some climate talks. And I just, you know, looked at the page number, and I was like, there's something on here, especially when they were talking about the climate talks. And it was just last year, and like the week that it was happening, I put it in a climate uh, policy paper. And let's just say that my instructor, my professor, she looked at me at the final minute, the final hour of after I turned my final in, and she said, "Chris, I had no idea." And you know, I'm, I'm thankful that people like Dane Wigington and others out there are doing the research, and as you are too, and your dad, uh, Joe. I'm thankful for you too, and for all your listeners out there, the Hagman family that comes and shares all this really valuable information, and. 
there's there's a lot of knowledge out there and I know that it's just the knowledge of Christ is what really comes down to. Uh and that's what's getting me through the next three years, hopefully. God willing, I finish. Um I'm not gonna give up, that's for sure. And uh I think that was just about all I had to share and other than uh so, like Friday's gonna be like the prep talk day for prepping and I was just thinking, I'm like I know like there's little things that can be done and uh with all this regulation, you know, coming, you know, even soil amendments are becoming even more and more regulated and that's where I am in the field of uh trying to transition out of the harmful uh soil fumigants that are used on strawberries and other crops that don't necessarily become rotated every season. Uh and that's just to do it naturally with mustard seed. And so I've been just looking at the parable of the mustard seed and it's such a small little segment of the Bible, but it's so much information and you can just write pages and pages on it. Uh I just wanted that's to share right. that and that I'm so blessed to have been uh part of the family of uh family the family of God and to have been a child and uh let's just say I was I was deceived for many years and I knew that when I came back into California that I was going to be walking pretty much through the valley of shadows and that I was going to arrive uh, wherever God calls me to. And, uh, yeah, I don't want to, uh, I was, I was thinking, you know, there's a lot of nonprofits I work for and they're advancing the gospel into places that are not, uh, open to the Bible that it's actually illegal in. And they're doing it through, you know, surfing, through, just environmental uh, outreach and humanitarian crisis. And I was just going to ask, I know there's still probably places out there. I was going to ask maybe if you would suggest a place because, uh, like you said earlier, you know, the American dream may not be here. Uh, I'm always looking for the next place to go. And uh, that's why I, I work and I save and uh, I travel. <sighs> Okay. And yeah, just just thought I would you know leave an open question. You know, it's not all about me here. Yeah. Um, as far as you know, places to go and whatnot, I don't really have any uh, advice for that. I would just say tune in tomorrow. Uh, as you said, tomorrow we're going to have Steve Quayle on. We're going to have some. Uh, we're going to be doing uh, with uh, Ross Powell from Survival Four Hundred One K and uh, other information. Uh, in regards to prepping and uh, maybe submit an email question and I'll even jot something down here uh, to to get on air to ask uh, your question to more qualified people so they can give that a a go but thanks for your call Christopher thank you again God bless you, have a good night alright, we're going to go to our next and final caller, Dave from Long Island Dave how you doing, buddy? Uh, well, I'm doing so-so, Joe. I, it's more important to hear you from guys. you. Yeah, good to, good to hear from you. Good to hear from you. I mean, I'm listening to all the time to you guys. Your father, I know he got excited about a week ago. He was blowing his cork. And <laughs> I, I, I just can't do that right now. I'm not feeling that great. Maybe it's the Ken flu. I I know somebody called you up and said something about it. I don't know if you checked that out, but uh, 
man, they got some kind of chemical in the jet fuel that they're mixing, and I, I don't know the name of it. I'm out in my vehicle right now. I like my privacy. Uh, like I said, I'm not doing too great physically right now. I, I'll tell you, Joe, though, uh, I used to claim on the Indian River. I'm down in Florida. You know, okay. you know, I'm not, maybe I misunderstood, you know, I might have said that to the, whoever took the call. But anyway, I used to be a clamor down here back in the uh, 80s and the late 80s on the Indian River, the intercoastal waterway that, right next to the Atlantic. And I never seen the sky as I do now. I was out a couple of weeks ago and all I saw was crisscrossing and that stuff was just staying up there. And the air, the, the, the sky is completely different than back in the late 80s. So anybody that says it's crazy, no way. I'm telling you that this is really going on. And uh, the other thing is, uh, Joe, Doug, God bless you both. You put out the message to everybody. Like, like your father said, <laughs> homosexuality is an abomination. It's wrong. That's it. That's how it is. God says it in the Bible. You're never going to get the true Christians to deny it. Well, and, and there's only one Lord. There's only one Christ. Somebody up there in the north, some, Massachusetts, they took off the head of some of the Virgin Mary, the hands. Then there was yeah. a cross that was knocked down. They there was two. Cross. Yeah, two, two incidents. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, uh, also a cross was taken down. I don't know if you saw that one. A wooden no. cross somewhere. I, I don't know where it was. Maybe it was in New Jersey. I'm not sure. But a tall wooden cross was taken down. They, they sort it off. Oh, and that Virgin Mary statue, they had an Arabic symbol on it. They called in somebody, a professor, and he says, yes, that does mean Allah. So, <laughs> you know, they're here, they're demonic, they're, they're not all Muslims are bad, but Islam is a false religion, and it's of Satan. That's it. That's who it is. And I'm Dave. I, I'm down here. You want to take my head off? Go ahead. Because I know where I'm going. And it's not going to be with our 72 virgins. It's going to be with the Lord Jesus Christ and his angels and his saints. And that's why I'm sorry if I said sick, but whatever. It's going to be in heaven. And it's not going to be not, nothing with Allah and us, all this bull crap. Mohammed, he was a pervert. Let's just face it. No guy goes to bed with a nine-year-old. All right? Nine-year-old girls don't, don't attract guys like me, you know, I, I, I'm looking for nice women, and it's not going to be for sex anyway, at my age, I'm 64, so I'm telling you my age, anybody that wants to come, I know you people know where I am, just have faith in the Lord, everybody, but Jesus Christ is the true Lord, he's true, I had so many miracles, my, my faith is so much, I could mention all the miracles I had, but it would take too long for me to say everything, but G Jesus Christ I seen something in my room back in Blue Point, Long Island, and all I know, I, I prayed. It was it was a satanic house. The girl downstairs, she might have been possessed. I was scared. As anyway, I woke up in the middle of the night, and I just got up and I said, "Who's that?" And I looked over, and I seen something tall and white disappearing. It didn't have wings, but it was disappearing, and my heart wasn't beating, and it was gone in a heartbeat. And I laid back down in my bed, and I went peacefully to sleep. That was just one miracle. So 
Jesus is the way, the truth, the light. Oh, blood and water, which gushed forth from the heart of Jesus as a fountain of mercy. We trust in you. You people, even if the sword comes to you, I guarantee you 125,000% that Jesus Christ will take you to heaven. Those people that died over there in the Middle East, they are in heaven. They look down and they say, that death was nothing compared to the glory of God in heaven, what he has given to those in heaven. So I just want to build up the faith out there. I'm getting built up just by hearing myself say this. I'm feeling better. But uh, uh, just hang in there. Listen to John and Doug. They're the best on the radio. Alex Jones is good, but you guys go into it a little more deeper than Alex Jones. He's a good brother in Christ, but he 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 he, he doesn't go as deep as you with reading the gospel. But he does have that, you know, the 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 the, the Christian faith, the, the the soldier, the Christian soldier, onward Christian soldier. And I love Alex, and I love all you guys. Uh, David, uh, uh, you know his name, uh, Rutherford, not Rutherford. Uh, the pastor. Ratzinger. Ratzinger? No, 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 David. David Rutherford, the pastor that comes from. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I'm, a, I'm, I'm not sure of the last. All those guys. All those guys. Uh, I couldn't make it to Texas. I don't know. I might be leaving this state. I might even head over to Alabama. I'm not sure. I got to see. I got to see. But uh, well, God bless you, Dave. You stay safe. And Pastor Langford, that's who you were who you were thinking of, yes, Pastor Langford. Yes, yes, yes. God bless everybody. Hang in there. Keep the faith. We are in those end days. But stay strong. Even you that are poor, offer your sufferings up. Give them to God. Just hang in there. Offering, offer them up for whatever your sins, whatever. If you're just coming out of sin, offer it up. Offer it up to the wounds of Jesus Christ. Think of His wounds, His, his the wounds in His hands, the wounds in His feet, the wounds in His side that shed the most precious blood. And all of us about the Muslims, they worship the satanic God. Satanic God, repent and come to the true God. God bless you, and God bless you guys. God bless you too, Dave. Have a great night. All right. Um, and Dave said something there at the end, you know, uh, turning things over to God. You know, a lot of times you'll be in a position where your emotions will get all riled up and negative emotions will, will come to the surface, whether it's anger, rage, hate. Um, and, and at times like that, you really do have to turn those emotions over to the Lord. Um, we can talk about that more later. I know we have Maria from Virginia. I'm going to bring her on. Maria, thanks for, for calling tonight. Welcome to the Hagman and Hagman Report. How you doing? Hi, Joe. You're doing a good job flying solo. Well, thank uh, you. It's uh, real easy with guests like Bill Salas and, and callers like yourself. I'm glad you had Bill Salas on. Yes, he was a very good guest. Uh, I just want to mention something else relating to those uh, arches of the Temple of Baal. Yeah. Um, and that is that uh, on the 4th, which was only three days ago, a British newspaper online came out with what to me looks like a propaganda piece to get people to accept the idea of human sacrifice. 
The title is Human Sacrifice Played a Key Role in Shaping Ancient yeah. Societies. And we then, talked about that article on, on I, you, I read some of that article here. You and, read a little and bit I did of see it. Your, yes, you did. Yeah, and I saw your email, and, and I think you have a very interesting take. Um, and can you repeat what you said about why you think this article was put out there with the headline the way it was? Well, it came out two two weeks before they're going to put that arch up in in, um, in London. So, mm-hmm. he, it, human sacrifice played a key role in shaping ancient societies. Brutal butchery of the lower classes created a hierarchy and helped the elites gain power. And then they say at the end, unpalatable as it might be, our results suggest that ritual killing helps humans transition from the small egalitarian groups of our ancestors to the large stratified societies we live in today. So, in other words, it's for the common good, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so that's, it, I mean, without it, there would be social chaos, right? <laughs> uh, well, that's the way the elites see it, because they want to have the, the elites on top and then all us great unwashed to be their lackeys, you know? But um, I remembered something. I was able to find it. It was about a year and a half. It was in the fall of 2014. There was a, a school where the sixth graders studied the Mayans, and then they acted out, studied in detail how they did their sacrifices, and they acted it out, playing the roles of the priest taking the victim's heart out and everything else. And there's pictures of them. There are these innocent, sweet little faces smiling, and they're so happy, and they think this is so fun and so cool. So we've got a real, um, you know, that's just stuff I happen to come across. If that, if I saw those, how much stuff is there we haven't seen? There's, the devil is really going over time trying to, and, and his honchos, trying to Tavistock us, get, you know, Tavistock brainwashing stuff, programming away from Christian values and into wholesale paganism. And this bail arts thing is very much a part of it. And I actually talked to the institute that does the 3D things, and they've got hundreds of schools signed up that are going to make smaller versions of it in their schools. Really? With the 3D printers, yeah. Um, also, uh, the timing of it is the one's going up in London right now on the on the 19th, and the other will be the end of September, which is actually another satanic ritual day <laughs> and time of satanic sacrifice. So both dates are um, the one in New York. So, uh, and then he says they've sent it out the 3D thing to thousands of people that have the 3D printers, thousands of organizations, and they've already heard from hundreds of schools that are going to do it on a smaller scale. But the ones they have, they're full size, and they weigh 12 tons. They're made out of stone. Now, Maria, Uh, would you, some of the the alternative media and media speculating that these are uh, gateways or archways for, uh, or portals, you know, for uh, beings to enter, uh, I think so. You, uh, okay. For one thing, I've seen a close-up picture now from the website of the people that does the 3D, you know, that's behind all of this. And there's mm-hmm. all these symbols and writing on the front of it and underneath it and all around it. So it's got all kinds of, and you know it's all ritual stuff and religious stuff, so it's invoking Baal. Yeah, it's, okay. Now, the thing is, 
You know what? Psalm 2 says that people are always in rebellion and conspiring against God and his people. But God whoops them in the end, right? God's people win in the end. Absolutely, yeah. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. So for those guys, Psalm 2 is bad news. For us, it's good news, because they lose, and we wind up with Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, right? Amen. God makes all things work together for good for those who love him. Romans 8, 28. And his grace is sufficient for us. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. That's the bottom line. And the scary things that are going on, may actually be good because it's waking up a lot of people. So what you're going to have... Yeah. So you're going to have a lot of people that that are going to cave and, you know, go along with the world system, the fake church, the phony church. But you're also going to get... The real Christians are going to get stronger. And then when other people see what real Christians are like, they'll be drawn to the light. You know, when when you have a blackout, even a little candle... You can see it all across the house. Mm-hmm. If it's dark, well, as things get darker, we're supposed to be the light of the world. And people that are looking for light will be drawn to us. And they'll be drawn to Jesus through us. So it'll become much more clear who is on what side. And when when you don't have the lukewarm ones blocking the way and the phony Christians or the cultural Christians or the ones that are half asleep and, you know, not paying much attention, those guys are going to have to wake up and, and make a decision. Am I going to take a stand for God or am it's I just like, going to go with the world? It's like gym class. Uh, all of the students are, are in there and say they're about to play dodgeball and they're picking teams. Um, right. All the children are going to be picked on one side or the other. You're going to have to be on a team whether you like it or not and play the game. So make your decision right. now and choose rather than have that choice be done for you. Right. And and you know something else? Jesus said that before he returns, they're going to separate the wheat from the chaff. Mm-hmm. And they're going to separate also the wheat from the tares. Tares look like wheat until they get mature. But tears are also toxic. They're poisonous. So it's not just that you're lacking weed. If you eat it, you get sick. And so, that's Matthew 13. Um, yeah, so in the church, we've got a mixture of wheat and tares, and God's going to separate them out. And and the rough stuff that's coming is part of the process. So we need to look at the at, at the the big picture, the light at the end of the tunnel. If we stick with God, we're heading for heaven. And we're going to look back on all the rough stuff we went through and be grateful for it because it brought us closer to God. It, it made us know we, we can't make it without Him. We've got to depend on Him. We need Him every minute, not just once a week on Sunday and not just during our devotional time. We need Him every minute. That's right. And if anyone's ever been seriously sick, you know you can't get out of bed without Him, literally. Mm-hmm. So that's a good reality check, too. When we have hard times, we need to try and turn it around and get it in perspective. Okay, this is a reminder that I need God. This is a reminder I need to, that needs to be my number one priority is my relationship with God. Everything else pales in comparison to that because everything else is temporary. That's right. We need to stay focused on the Lord in the good times and in the hard times. 
Uh, we can't Absolutely. call on him just in the hard times and expect him to be there for us only when we need him. We need to be there all the time. Marie, I want to thank well, you for lo- calling in tonight. He loves us enough he'll be there even if we act like that, but we need to grow up. You know, it, <laughs> yes, it, it do. doesn't pay to be toddlers in a, in a dangerous world. We've got to grow up and become mature Christians. God bless you, Joe. Thank you so much for everything. God bless you too, Maria. You have a good night. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. We got one more caller. We're going to go to Bill in Colorado. Bill, you're live on the Hagman and Hagman Report. What's on your mind tonight? Oh, hi, Joe. Um, just a whole bunch of stuff. Uh I was listening to some of the other callers with really good information. And, uh, yeah, I go into the prisons every Sunday. And some of the things that are going on is just, it's just so phenomenal. You know, like one verse is in, uh, was I think it's in Psalms where God scoffs at, at the leaders of the world when they go out and act crazy and whatnot. So it's sort of like God is just sitting there and he's scoffing at these plans that everybody's making, you know, the devil's making all of his plans and whatnot, and, uh, you know, God's just scoffing at it. I mean, the devil might make his plans, but God is in control. And yeah, we're told God, that yeah. the uh, uh, no weapon formed against you shall proper, prosper. We're not told that there won't be weapons formed against us. We're told that there will be. But as long as we have yeah. the Lord Jesus Christ, that they will not prosper. That's right. And, uh, you know, uh, another, another, uh, um, powerful thing that, that I follow is that, uh, Jesus on numerous occasions told the disciples to do things. Okay. And he has given us all authority over the powers of darkness. Now, when he gives you this authority, he then expects you to use it. And as some of the other people were saying, he wants us to be growing up in him. It's like when when he fed the 5,000. They said, well, what are you going to do? He said this to them, testing them to see what they were going to do. Now, if you have authority and you don't exercise it, then you lose it. So... The, the thing that, that the Lord's been laying on my heart is, you know, you need to step up to the plate. You need to grow up. You need to start walking in this power and in this authority that I've given you. He said, I've given you all the signs and wonders and miracles of the Old Testament. And yes, all those signs, wonders, and miracles were my hand. He said, do you think my hand is so short that I can't do those things right now in your life on a daily basis? You know? And, uh, I wasn't expecting that, but that was, that was a word from God, you know? Mm-hmm. And, you know, so we need to just walk in it. And, you know, and sometimes, you know, how people get all excited and whatnot. And I, hey, I'm the first one, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I was leaving the prison after an awesome message. You know, it was like four or five people got saved and I'm flowing in the spirit and I pull out on the interstate highway and some rotten dog would not let me in. And the first thing out of my mouth were certain obscenities that I can't say <laughs> over the radio. Okay? Yep. And it was like, bang. You know, the devil kicked me right in the butt, right? And then after I calmed down, I said, Lord, forgive me. And then the other thing is when you start to get those, that flow of trash in your mind, 
just I take every word and every thought captive and in submission to the Word of God. And I'll tell Amen. you, that has helped me tremendously, you know? So, Isn't it interesting how, uh, you know, one... You let one one bad thought in, or or you think the wrong way about a person, or you make a judgment, or uh, you know you have the wrong idea, uh, and like like you just said, that stream of of bad or lousy thoughts will roll in um, like thunderstorms, uh, one after the other, if you let that one in, and that's part of the you know Ephesians six, putting on the armor of God. Yep. Uh, which allows us to, to, to block that out and to not let those enter in. But the moment we do let one of those thoughts enter in, we're leaving ourselves open to more uh, and a continuation of them. Yeah. And, it's, it's, and, and you know, it's good asking God to help you to just intercede at that moment. You know, you start to... To just get all those trashy thoughts, and right in the middle of it, I just I take every word and every thought captive and in submission to the Word of God, and bang, they stop, you know? And that's the awesomeness of God. But again, I think that's God is telling us, uh, you know, hey, wait a minute, I have given you this, this tool. Now, you better grow up and use it. And I said, okay, Lord, yeah, you know? So... And, uh, I mean, it's just awesome, you know, uh, watching God move and, you know, and yeah, you know, I mean, I don't have a television or I don't listen to the radio or anything. Uh, actually, about the only thing I listen to is, is you and your dad and, uh, you know, your programs. But, um, and, and it is kind of interesting because most weeks that you'll have Pastor Langford or Steve Quayle and the gang on, like on a Monday or Tuesday, uh, you all will be quoting probably most of the scriptures that I was quoting the Sunday before. So it's like, so it's a confirmation to me. Yes, Lord, I was flowing in the Spirit on Sunday. Yes, Lord, they're flowing in the Spirit right now. And I don't know whether you've ever noticed that, but it's like everybody's getting the same message, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah, um, absolutely. So. And, uh, but, you know, and then, and the guys in the prison, you know, like in normal, you know, like a lot of church services, people wouldn't stand up in at the beginning of the service or maybe in the middle of the service, just come out if you sense a spirit and just say, you know, I bind this demonic spirit of division right now in the name of Jesus Christ. You will leave this, this, this area right now, right? Most church services, as you go in, you know, it's like I don't hear people doing that. But in the prison, if you do that, you know, if you if a spirit shows up and you bind it and cast it out, usually two or three of the guys sitting there will go, "Amen, brother. Thanks for that." Because it's Bill, like in the prisons, yeah. Well, while we got you on the phone in the closing minutes here, and you can speak to this since you are somebody who goes into the prisons on a, on a regular basis and, and ministers, yeah. uh, to those inmates. Have you seen any, any changes? Um, as, as you just gave an example, it seems like the, the, uh, people who are, um, in the ministry inside prisons are more bold and, and are, um, you know, standing up for, Truth and righteousness. Have you seen any any other trends or shifts for good or or worse, better or worse? 
Well, actually, yeah, I've I've been going in for about I think forty six years, and it is wow. moving more from just out and out evangelism to growth. Uh, just a couple years ago, uh, it used to be you know I would go in, they would you know have like twenty, thirty, forty people would show up because that's all that was allowed to come in, and out of maybe thirty people, you might have fifteen salvations on a Sunday. Right now, the number of salvations has dropped down drastically, but the messages are being led to, okay, you need to take the next step with God. Yeah, you're saved, you're going to heaven. Now, you need to get your life together. You need to be part of the ministry and ministering to other people. So it's growth that's taking place now. I've seen that as a, a major change, okay? That's awesome, um, and and God bless you. Forty three years or forty six years? Did you say? That's a well, long I started time. in. I yeah, I started in seventy five. That was nineteen seventy five. Some people laugh at me and ask if it was eighteen, but yeah, and I started in seventy five, and you know, I started on a vision. God gave me a vision, and I was in an institution, and I said, "Well, Lord, what am I supposed to be doing?" He says, "Do it." And believe it or not, back then, literally, God would lead me to institutions. I'd go up and knock on the door or go to the control center and introduce myself and say, hey, I, I do Bible studies. Can I come in? They said, sure, sure, go on in. Uh, here, we'll let you through the gates. Go over, just knock on one of the doors, and they'll unlock it and let you in. Okay? It's gone from that because when God opens the doors, they're open. You know, I mean, now they do background checks on you and everything else, but... Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, the other thing is, when you're in the institutions, you can't lay hands on people, okay? Right, right. And to some people, that would be restrictive, but, I mean, you know, I I cast out a few spirits uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, just standing there speaking. I mean, a guy that was strung out on methamphetamine and said, you know, he said, I'm going through withdrawal like you can't believe and I said well that's a demonic spirit do you want to get rid of that and he said well yeah how would you do that and I said okay I said, and I led him through a prayer and prayed over him and when he got done he said wow he says, <laughs> he says I don't have any craving right now and he said I felt something leave and I said yeah I said that was the spirit I said but now you know, you're going to be tempted but you're not addicted anymore so you need to walk in that power God's given you, you know? So Absolutely. So that's sort of, yeah, and, and God won't allow the demons to manifest either because if they do, then the institutions, of course, would call for medics if you had somebody on the ground frothing and foaming at the mouth and stuff. So God won't even allow them to manifest. <laughs> so, you know. Well, thanks for the call, Bill, and thank you for the the uh, uplifting words and 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 the encouragement, and thank you for the uh, work you do uh, ministering to people specifically inside of prisons. Um, and yeah. thanks for calling into our show. You have a great night. Okay, and by the way, I've got you two on my prayer list. So, well, thank you very much. We uh, we, okay. we can't thank you enough. Okay, God bless you. Thanks. God Bye. bless you too. Have a great night. Well, just uh, some fantastic calls tonight. Just a great show in the last, uh, what, two, two and a half minutes we have on our show. 
that last caller, Bill, was a great example of what people need to be doing, and it doesn't have to be people going to prisons necessarily. Some people have a calling to go into uh, prison ministries and, and to uh, minister to inmates. That is a big necessity, especially in today's day and age, where we have the most uh, people in prison per capita as a nation. We have prisons that work off of quotas instead of um, seeing who who commits a crime and and persecuting uh, prosecuting those crimes. Instead, we have quotas that are met, kind of like quote uh, speeding ticket quotas, where an officer has to get you know ten speeding ticket give out ten speeding tickets a day, regardless if there were ten people speeding or not. And that's a, just a travesty of justice. But uh, like Bill said, you know he's been in the prison ministries for forty forty five years, forty six years. And uh, that's just incredible. If we could just get everyday uh, believers to become ministers to each other, to their neighbors, to their people who are inside their sphere of influence and within earshot, who knows about the difference we can make or how big of an impact we can have. You know, we're here to lay, uh, plant the seeds and let the Lord water them as he will. But he can't water seeds that have not been planted. And it is our job to plant those seeds. And Maria mentioned, I believe it was Maria mentioned the mustard seed. And if it wasn't her, it was one of the callers before her. And maybe it was even yesterday. Uh, if you have the, the faith of a, of the size of a mustard seed and the mustard seeds are one of the smallest seeds you, they have on earth. And that's all you need. And the Lord will do the rest. Uh, we're at the close of the program. Again, tomorrow, Steve Quayle will be on. Ross Powell will be on with them. We're going to be talking about preps and other things. And Ross Powell is just one of the names that is coming on with Steve. I bring, believe he's bringing on two or three people in total. Uh, and don't forget, again, Stained by Blood on Kindle. You can find that Kindle edition now. Stainedbyblood.com or go to Amazon.com and search for Stained by Blood. That'll do it for us tonight. Bill Salas was our guest. We talked about his new book, The Now Prophecies. Bill Salas, prophecydepotministries.net, prophecydepot.com. Thank you. Have a good night. From the Hagman and Hagman Report, we'll see you back here tomorrow. This is the Global Star Radio Network. The Genesis Communication.